And welcome to the City of Alameda City Council meeting. Today is this, uh, Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. And we are about to begin the um, council meeting. We're going to go into a special uh, closed session meeting. But first, I'm going to ask our city clerk, Laura Weisinger, to please call the roll. Vice Mayor Desog. Here. Councilmember Jensen. Here. Mayor Eziashcraft. Here. Three present and uh, council members Herr Spencer and Bella should be joining us shortly. All right, great. Um, so we um, we have a closed session and at this time um, I will, do I call for public comment before we read the public? I do, it's just like it says on the agenda. So do we have any public comment on closed session items? We do not. All right, with that I will close public comment on closed session items only and I'd like to ask the clerk to please introduce our closed session items and then we'll adjourn into closed session. All right, um, 3A is conference with legal negotiators, uh, conference with legal counsel, sorry, existing litigation pursuant to government code section 549569. Case name is Larry Montgomery versus City of Alameda et al. Court is United States District Court, Northern District of California. Case number is 423CV03319DMR. 3B is conference with labor negotiators, Pursuant to government code section 54957.6, the city negotiators are the city manager, human resources director, outside counsel, and deputy city attorney. The employee organizations are International Association of Firefighters, Local 689, under negotiation are salaries, employee benefits, and terms of employment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And with that, we will adjourn into closed session, and we have every intention of returning and starting the, um, the regular meeting at 7 o'clock this evening. All right, um, so anyone involved with item 3A, come on back. In the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. And so now we come to the consent calendar, but again, just for this special um, successor agency. Um, and what I need um, to let you know is that there is one item, um, item 2B, and um, our city clerk needs to read that. Um, this is some official language she needs to read into the record. So, um, Madam Clerk, if you would, please. Uh, yes, so this is to announce that um, now is the time for public comment on the public hearing to consider adoption of a joint city council, SACAC, resolution approving the development list of affordable housing projects and related funding requests consistent with the 1991 pass-through agreement with the Alameda Unified School District and a recommendation to submit the recognized obligation payment schedule and budget. All right, thank you for that. So um, what I am looking for is um, a motion to approve the um, the the um, consent calendar so for moved. thank you. It's been moved um, and as moved by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. Um, we do we do have a speaker. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, um, but I don't I don't know if they understand which consent calendar okay. we're talking about because I think it's a rent person. So do you, do you want to explain what it is? It's yeah, a so, little confusing to have um, several different agendas. Yeah. So this is not the city council meeting yet. This is just the city council and. SACIC. So rent is not right now. So if you are raising your hand on rent, um, you can. I, well, we can just call him because he's not lowering his hand. But it's Ephraim Williams, and I think he probably wants to speak on rent, and we can find out. Okay. So, um, but 
Okay, so but this is still we're just on the um, successor agency. Yeah, but he still kept his hand up. In okay, spite of that, so. so so we'll go ahead and hear the speaker. If this isn't the right agenda item, we will redirect you. So, and this is a remote speaker or in yes, person? Yes, from Williams. All right, welcome, <clears throat> welcome, Speaker Williams. Hello there. I, I I lowered my hand. I'm sorry. Oh, all right. Okay. We're sorry for not seeing that. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see you shortly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks. So then I do believe I had a motion yep. by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstain? Any abstentions? Okay. That motion um, carries unanimously. So then I will adjourn the special meeting of the successor agency. And I will call to order the regular city council meeting. And we will begin with roll call, please, <coughs> Madam Clerk. Roll call has been noted, five present. Thank you. Madam Clerk, do we have any agenda changes? None that I am aware of. We don't. <laughs> and um, all right, so now for a little um, slate of hand. It doesn't look like there are any proclamations <clears throat> on the agenda, but in fact, there are. So if I could have everyone's attention in the room. Thank you. Um, here's a proclamation. Whereas on April 8th, 2002, Andrew Thomas began his career with the city of Alameda, first as a supervising planner and later as planning services manager, city planner and assistant community development director. In 2019, Andrew was appointed to be director of the city's planning, building, and transportation department. 21 years later, at the end of this month, Andrew Thomas will retire after a long and distinguished career. And he didn't know about this proclamation. Whereas Andrew's master's degree in city planning from the University of California at Berkeley served him well these past two decades as he helped Alameda navigate significant land use, housing, and transportation challenges. With Andrew at the forefront, Alameda experienced a transformation of the former Alameda Naval Air Station into Alameda Point, a combination of residential, commercial, and recreational uses set against the breathtaking backdrop of the San Francisco skyline. Whereas Andrew worked tirelessly to bring other significant development projects to fruition, including the Harbor Bay Business Park, Marina Village, Alameda Landing, the Alameda Marina, the Del Monte Building, Ensenal Terminals, and the Alameda Wellness Center. And whereas Andrew also led some of the city's most complex transportation projects, including requiring all new developments to fund transit passes for all new residents and employees, construction of the Seaplane Lagoon Ferry Terminal, implementing miles of new bike lanes and sidewalks, and planning a bicycle and pedestrian bridge across the estuary. Whereas, as a result of Andrew's skill and perseverance, the city of Alameda completed its 2040 general plan and housing element ahead of schedule, becoming the first city in Northern California to have its housing element certified by the state. For this unwavering effort to accommodate Alameda's future housing needs while affirmatively furthering fair housing across the island, this housing element earned an award of merit from the American Planning Association's California Northern Sector. And whereas during 21 years of steadfast service to Alameda, 
including attendance at more city council board and commission meetings than can be tallied, and authoring countless pages of staff reports and presentations, Andrew's inspired leadership resulted in the completion of plans for over 15,000 units of housing, the creation of 12, more than 12,000 jobs, preservation of 300 acres for parks and open space, and numerous other public benefits. And whereas Andrew is well regarded among city staff as the ultimate team player, always willing to enthusiastically accept other duties as assumed, as assigned, including planning section chief of the Emergency Operations Center during the COVID-19 pandemic, acting base reuse and economic development director, and currently strategic advisor to the base reuse and economic development and planning, building, and transportation departments. And whereas over the past 21 years, Andrew Thomas consistently delivered devoted service to Alameda residents and businesses, his expertise and dedication improved every project he was associated with, and his passionate, courageous leadership and commitment to fair, transparent, and just decision-making leaves Alameda a better place than he found it. Andrew's unfailing sense of humor and the pure joy he brought to the workplace will be greatly missed. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, Marilyn Ezzie Ashcraft, mayor of the city of Alameda, on behalf of the Alameda City Council, do hereby express our deepest thanks and appreciation to Andrew Thomas for his invaluable service to the city of Alameda and proclaim Tuesday, December 19th, 2023, as Andrew Thomas Day in the city of Alameda and encourage all residents to join us in celebrating Andrew's lasting service to the city. We wish Andrew all the best in his well-deserved retirement, where he ho we hope his days are filled with travel, surfing, and ultimate frisbee. Thank you so much, Andrew Thomas, for everything. And if you could just, um, come on up, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to say, I have worked with this man since um, 2006 when I was first appointed to the planning board. I don't know what we're going to do without you, but you've left us in good and good position. Did you get a, did you get a pick? Yeah, you did? Was it good? Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All the best. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Okay, no more surprises. Now it's <laughs> according to the script. Um, so then what I do just want to say, take a moment to, to say, I do this whenever, um, whenever we start a meeting, because I know we have lots of public speakers, and I love it. This is, this is just civic engagement in action, and it's lovely to see you all in person, and I'm sure there's more people not in the air, but you know, um, coming to us remotely for speakers. So the rules, of, the rules of the road for speaking is this is a business meeting, so we don't clap, we don't boo, we don't jeer, we don't do the wave. I always remind people that public speaking for many is the most, one of the most stressful things they will, will do. And for some people, they've mustered a lot of courage just to come and stand before you and say their piece. And we want them to do that. We don't want anyone to not get up because they thought they might be booed or somebody would you know, say something 
being rude to them. So we give everyone just equal space. Everybody gets the same amount of time. The, the city clerk times the speakers. But we have children in the room, and I think maybe even some of them will speak to us. But we want to be that welcoming atmosphere. Signs are lovely. Just if you would, please don't hold them over your head and you're, unless you're in the last row, just because the people <laughs> behind you also want to see what's going on. But with that, um, we look forward to seeing you. But now, um, Madam Clerk, Laura Weisinger is going to explain, because it's um, when we're going on now to oral communications, where we have at this time 15 minutes for two-minute speakers. Uh, on items that aren't on the agenda. There's other opportunities to speak to agenda items. If, and we will go, you know, have more speakers than we can fit into 15 minutes, there is another item at the end of the regular agenda. It's item number, number nine, and you'll have another opportunity. So um, the way to do this fairly is it's a lottery, and um, uh, Madam Clerk is going to start it out. So if you're here and you hear your name and you're in the middle of a row, you might want to you know, scooch over to get out to the aisle, aisle so we can just keep things moving along. But welcome, everyone, and let's get started, Madam Clerk. Okay, so yes. Uh, so every speaker will get two minutes. Uh, the first speaker, speaker is Michael, Michael Wesolowski. Welcome. Speaker will help us with your name. <laughs> Oh, come on up. Oh, that's another good question. So here at the podium, you'll stand behind it and make, that's your microphone to speak into, and bring it to whatever it's adjustable, bring it to the level of your mouth, and um, welcome. Okay, here yeah, we go. That's great. Yeah, thank you for being here. I work in the community. I'm a carpetologist, and uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, this is mentioned my religion. So we all use the tools that we have growing up. I was, grew up in a Christian family, Seventh-day Adventist uh, missionaries, longest living people in the United States, uh, building schools in, and, um, and temples around the world. And, and I, I did, I went to a Jewish synagogue because I was so impressed. We keep the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, until the a rabbi now listen i love jewish people I, I love jewish people my brothers and sisters but this rabbi preached in 210 that we should kill all the palestinians uh the united states is going down and they're going to rule the world from jerusalem extremely radical so i walked out of there backwards never to come back again and i made friends with palestinians instead wonderful friends so I was able to, um, my friend Munther, he, he got a business degree at the university in the Gaza, and his wife's a nurse, young couple. They, have, uh, they had a son, and they had a, a daughter when I was there. So I was able to, uh, they got about two to three hours electricity, and he was doing a mail order business in the United States. He never touched the products, but he would sell them. He was very clever. And um, I bought him solar panels, and then my sister, who's Afro-American, bought his neighbor a set of solar panels, so they got 24-hour electricity. And the two of them increased their business to 90 employees, or 90 people in the Gaza, where the employment rate is traditionally 70%. Unemployment is 70%. We became like family. So I call them my family because Jesus said... And your time is up. That's your two minutes. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Thank Leah you so much. Leah DeLeon. All right. Welcome, Speaker DeLeon. 
Hi, my name is Leon, and I organize with the Alameda Families and Friends for a ceasefire. I'm a longtime resident of our beautiful island. Um, we're calling Alameda to join the Northern California cities of Oakland, Richmond, and Davis in passing a ceasefire resolution. Calling for a ceasefire is a local issue for so many reasons. As a caregiver with SEIU, I'm proud of why calling for a ceasefire is a local labor issue. Alameda is home to a number of labor unions, union members and community members who want to see this body call for a ceasefire. The California Nurses Association, which has over 200 nurse members on the island, has called for a ceasefire. The Alameda Teachers Union, which represents 520 teachers on the island, is formally affiliated with the National Education Association, which has called for a ceasefire. SEIU, USWW, has their headquarters on Bay Farm and has called for a ceasefire. UAW, SEI. U1021, the nation's largest healthcare union, and the US Postal Workers Union are unions that have called for a ceasefire and all have members here in Alameda. This weekend, we saw more than 14 unions across the Bay call for a ceasefire at a protest of several hundreds in Oakland. This is the first in the nation. And we know the Bay Area sets the precedence on so many of our movements. We will see more and more labor calling for a ceasefire across the nation. Ceasefire is also a fiscal issue for Alameda. The US Campaign for Palestinian Rights estimates that Alameda taxpayers give $1,115,883. This could fund 132 households with public housing for a year, free or low-cost healthcare for 388 children, or 12 additional elementary school teachers. Ceasefire is a safety issue for Alameda residents. We have talked to so many Palestinian and Arab and Muslim community members who are so scared to come to actions and scared to come to City Hall meetings. That's why Alameda, we need to stand for a ceasefire and this is a local issue. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Deborah Sullivan. All right. And again, so if you just please wouldn't block others' views and as Speaker Sullivan is, is a physical speaker, yes. Yeah, they're all. <coughs> Welcome. <coughs> Hi. Hi. And you can bring it right down to your level. Um, I am here as a 20-year resident of Alameda and in support of a resolution that is being put forth by Alameda families and friends for ceasefire in Gaza. I hope that the resolution will be added to the agenda and that you will adopt it. In this act of thinking globally and acting locally, I urge you to add our island's voice to this worldwide call for ceasefire. Changes come from grassroots movements, that happened locally, as Eduardo Martinez, the mayor of Richmond, California says. As a mayor, he said, my voice alone may be meaningless, but when I sing in a chorus, we make music that people have to listen to. Like many Jewish people, I was raised in a Zionist family, so I know all the arguments. It's complicated. You don't know the history. You're anti-Semitic if you criticize Israel. The purpose is to silence us. We will not be quiet. It is really simple. About 20,000 Palestinian men, women, and children have been killed by Israelis. Israel's relentless and discriminant bombardment. October 7th was horrific, no question. We mourn for all those who have been killed and fight like hell for those who are still alive. It is not a matter of choosing sides of who deserves to live, but Israel's acting not in defense. This is genocide. 
It's heartbreaking to watch a government call itself the Jewish state, claim to act on behalf of Jews worldwide, and commit the same heinous war crimes that have been done to our own people. Being critical of Israel does not equate to anti-Semitism. There is plenty of real anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and racism. Let's not weaponize oppression in order to oppress others. This resolution is the least we can do. We must hope that very small actions add up to saving lives of Palestinians who are dying by US weapons. Not in our names, not with our tax dollars. Thank you so Please. much, thank you so much. Our next speaker. Serena Congaria. Welcome, Speaker Ongaria. Hello. Hello, my name is Serena Kogadai. I've been in Alameda residence since 2001. Um, I have gone to middle school here, I've gone to high school here, I've gone to college here. I'm a former high school teacher and I currently work at Cal State East Bay. And I think that a ceasefire is a local issue. It's an Alameda issue because it's a safety issue for our Muslim residents. It's a safety issue for our Jewish residents. I think that tw over 20,000 people dead is not okay and we should not be funding this genocide anymore. It's time to put a stop to this. Like Leon mentioned earlier, so many different Cities around the Bay Area have called for a ceasefire. So many different unions around the Bay Area have called for a ceasefire. And it's time for Alameda to call for an official ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Syed Mustafa Sadat. Welcome, Speaker Mustafa. Hello, everyone. My name is Syed Mustafa Sadat. I'm originally from Afghanistan. Just a little fun fact, I was actually in Palestine just a little bit over three months ago, right before October 7th. And let me tell you that Palestinians are one of the most uh, hospitable people in the world. And all they want in their life is just to live peacefully amongst their family, friends, and even their Jewish uh, communities and Christian communities as well. And today I'll be talking about the importance of the ceasefire in Palestine. But before I start, I want to talk about the tragedies that have taken place in the U.S. recently. Almost 20,000 people, citizens, have died and have been killed, and 7,000 of those being children, and 6,000 of those being women. But did that change anything in you, knowing that it's the people in the U.S. or any citizens? But why is not the same case when it comes to the Palestinian women and children and men? Why, why are we desensitized to the Palestinians? Are they not human like me and you? Are they not important? You guys need to wake up. Your media is biased, and almost every news station you consume can speed you this bias to push their agenda. And this is, and the same agenda, they had to destroy all the other Muslim countries, including Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. And they, they come out to tell you that it was just a mistake all along. Don't you think this is going to essentially be a mistake down the line? And they're going to be like, this is not a genocide. They, they, they don't call it a genocide right now, but they won't call it a genocide right now. But eventually, they, you guys will come to terms that this is a genocide, and this needs to be stopped. And... The, and all I have to say is that you guys have to have empathy for the people of the Palestinians and the children and the men and the women there. And all they want to do is live in peace and harmony. And if you guys can't provide that for them, I don't know who anybody else who can. So all I'm just do, is trying to say is to call for a ceasefire and free Palestine. Thank you. Our next speaker. Samantha Zimmerman. Welcome, Speaker Zimmerman.
Hi, my name is Sammy Eiko Zimmerman. I was born and raised in Alameda. I went to Alameda Public Schools, K through 12. And it was that at those schools that I was taught to stand up and speak out against injustice, never to stay silent or lose hope in the possibility of a better world. Growing up, I attended the Alameda Buddhist Temple with my family, and it was there that I was taught to love and defend life as my sacred duty, never to turn away from the sufferings of others, because all living things are beautiful, valuable, and deeply interconnected. So today, I'm here with my Alameda community to call upon the Council of the City of Alameda to stand fearlessly on the side of justice by passing a resolution in support of a ceasefire in Gaza. I call upon you to show the children growing up in Alameda right now what it means to refuse silence and complicity, to believe in a better world, and to act on that belief. There is nothing morally complicated about a genocide in which over 20,000 civilians have been killed, including more than 8,000 children. How can we stay silent and watch as our tax dollars fund Israel's slaughter of innocent people, illegal destruction of civilian infrastructure, and attempt to erase Palestinian culture and identity? The people of Palestine deserve to live their lives free of occupation, ethnic cleansing, and apartheid. The children of Palestine deserve to grow up safe and surrounded by love. In celebration of Palestinian life and in solidarity with Palestinian grief, I would like to close by reading a poem by the Palestinian writer Khaled Juma. O rascal children of Gaza, you who constantly disturbed me with your screams under my window, you who filled every morning with rush and chaos, you who broke my vase and stole the lovely flower on my back balcony, come back and scream as you want, break all the vases, steal all the flowers, Come back. Just come back. Free Palestine ceasefire now. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Yusen Yuen. Welcome, Speaker Yuen. There you are. And please help us if we mispronounced your names. We apologize. It's Yusen. It's Yusen. fine. Right. Thank you for having me speak. Welcome. Um, I was just reading this article. More than 80% of Democrats and more than 58% of Republicans want ceasefire. I think most people see, people understand historically what is going on. This is not a defense, this is not a war. This is truly a genocide of merciless massacring of innocent people. So I'm just here to ask our local government to represent us, your local citizens who voted for you, to tell our freaking federal government, how ridiculous they are, spending, wasting lives and tax dollars on massacring people for nothing except for vengeance and dominance and occupation of other people's land. I mean, it's just, so I'm just pleading with you guys to join the rest of the local communities. I feel like the more local communities speak up, the more local governments speak up, especially coming from California, the more we could pressure the feds to do something. As of now, there are 62 members, I believe, in, in Congress who has signed on to um, Cory Bush's resolution for ceasefire. They do listen to you guys, right? <laughs> even though you represent us more at a local level. So help us speak up, please, please pass the resolution. Make this happen soon, very soon, immediately. Ceasefire, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Maya Wittala. Maya 
Ritala or Ritala. There you are. Hi. That's perfect. Thank Was you it so Ritala? Much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, great. Thank you uh, for having me. I'm just echoing, you know, what has been said so eloquently and so beautifully. Um, I am an Alameda resident, um, born in SF, still here in Alameda, sort of a unicorn. It's like I'm still in the Bay Area, right? After all this time, um, and I'm really uh, grateful. Uh, for the space to be able to air out and and urge you all to support a ceasefire now um, resolution. Um, and as was just said, just being the uh, extension of our voice as majority of the people understand, right, that we need a ceasefire now, free Palestine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. And where are we? And this will be the last This one. will be the last speaker, okay. And the rest will be after. <clears throat> Welcome. Hello. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that I'm uh, speaking tonight about the lack of CEQA compliance um, in city projects. Oh, okay. Non-agenda items? Yeah. It's a general. And, yeah. But it's specific to the item, of course. So um, I wrote you a letter um, regarding my concerns about the staff faulty sequel terminations um, earlier today, um, but mostly about how they apply to Alameda Point. The problem that I found is that the city city staff are making faulty determinations with no documentation, and all of them violate CEQA, and they also violate the Alameda Municipal Code. Um, and, because, and it's also supposed to be a public process, so none of the documentation is ever given to the public. And the public, it does not have a chance to comment on the CEQA determination as, as they should. So uh, none of the projects should ever be approved without that. And city council doesn't even get the, get the materials. So how, you, you can't really make a determination without those materials. You're just taking their word for it. And that's uh, not allowed. Right, so um, uh, particularly in the historic district, um, we already have an evaluation pr procedure um, by Verplank Consultants that uh, describes what you should do for CEQA evaluations in the historic district. It's not being followed. Instead, it's given categorical exemptions, um, all the projects are, and um, projects at Alameda Nas are not um, eligible for categorical exemptions because they it's a special zone and for, because of the historic district and because of the potential cumulative effects. So you have to have mandatory findings of significance that have to be reviewed, and they're just, and it's not being done, and so it's resulting in a real degradation of the historic uh, uh, integrity of the area, and I, I'm seeing it all around me, and it's very disappointing, and I'd like the city to correct that. And I've also uh, asked and Mr. With Shen. That, your time is up. And now we end oral communication, non-agenda items. That was the, your time is up. Thank you. So now we move on to the consent calendar, which is, and I want to thank all the other speakers for, I want to thank all the other speakers for being so um, amazingly courteous and respectful and speaking, speaking your piece. Thank you to, the, to all of the rest of you. Now we do move on. And again, we'll have another opportunity at the end of the, the, um, 
this regular agenda, uh, but thank you for coming. Okay, so now we move on to the consent calendar. These are items that are routine and will be approved by one motion unless council members remove items for a full discussion. Uh, and removed items will then be heard at the end of the regular calendar. But there are also, there's also the ability for council to ask questions on any remaining items without actually pulling the item. So um, at this time, um, I, let's see, we do have uh, a procedural um, uh, item that we need to uh, handle on the consent calendar, which is 5C, and I'm turning that over to City Clerk um, Laura Weisinger for that one. Thank you. Now is the time for public comment to consider approving the Housing and Community Development Needs Statement for the Community Development Block Grant Annual Plan for Fiscal Year 24-25. The proposed action is statutory exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act under CEQA Section 15. 262 feasibility and planning study of CEQA guidelines. All right, and then um, do we have any items that the council wants to pull from the consent calendar? I'm not seeing any. I do have questions that I want to ask on item 5H. So I believe that um, should we, if we could just get the door to be closed, there we could hear, thank you. Um, so should, um, should I go ahead and call for any public comment on the consent calendar or should I get a motion for balance of the, no, you well, tell me, Madam If you Clark. want to ask questions first, then you can call the speakers and then you can make comments after and do the motion. <coughs> or, okay. yeah. Okay, so. Um, Madam Mayor. Yes, um, Councilmember Rivella. Is there a reason we couldn't just pull 5H and, and have it be heard afterwards? And, because and I, I, I don't want to move it to the end of the regular <coughs> agenda because I do believe that we have a lot of speakers on this. So I'm not pulling it. I just do have some questions that I'd like to ask. And um, one of them, and I guess this is um, asked of staff in general, if um, we were to possibly get three council members who didn't vote to move forward on 5H, who possibly wanted to reconsider moving back to the previous um, iteration that we had a much more limited CIP, um, how, would that, how could that be done tonight? If I could ask the city attorney his input. Uh, Madam Mayor, if the council does not approve 5H, we would, uh, and if the council gives us direction to bring back the first reading, we'd be happy to do so. All right, and the first reading, which was the much more limited. Um, if that is the council direction. All right, well, we aren't there yet. So um, I, um, I will, um, I may have more questions of staff and uh, discussion after we hear our public comment then. Okay. And we have speakers on, on multiple items. Um, the first one is on regarding 5C, and it's uh, Scott Means. All right, welcome, um, Speaker Means, <coughs> also a member of the Social Service Human Relations Board. Or the Good chair. evening. Are you chair? Good evening, Madam yes. Mayor and members of City Council. Um, I'm Scott Means, President of the Social Service Human Relations Board, also known as SHRUB. <laughs> At our meeting on October 26, 2023, the board reviewed the CDBG, that's Community Development Block Grant um, program received public comment and discussed the public service funding priority needs for the fiscal year. The board also voted unanimously on the fiscal year 2024-25 needs statement for the city council's consideration, which is included in your packet tonight. Um, Shrub, with consideration from 17 community service providers and organizations, recommends the following priority areas and strongly emphasizes that racial equity concerns are at the core of many of these issues. 
Briefly, the priorities are affordable housing and homeless services, domestic violence, public safety and crime prevention, mental health and crisis intervention services, available and affordable child care for low-income families, and food pantries and food security with emphasis on health and nutrition. Advocacy and coordination with wraparound services to support marginalized and underserved communities, social connectedness, community building that takes into consideration diversity and inclusivity. Shrub recommends that the City Council approve the needs statement prepared by the Shrub based on input received from staff and the community. We thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for your service on Shrub. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Uh, is on 5F, Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Okay, hi. Um, um, may I ask, I, I apologize for interrupting you. I would just like to be able to finish my sentence if I go. Um, you're entitled to the same amount of time that every other speaker is. That's how we handle this equitably and democratically. Yes, but All right. you don't normally interrupt people at, on the end of their sentence. Most so. people finish in time. Well, that's not my experience. Okay, so, thank you. Um, so I just want to talk about uh, 5F. It does not say um, in the um, in the uh, uh, agenda materials, which um, CEQA guideline it was, I don't think, or no, it's not this one. Okay, so this one, um, I was going to say CEQA. It looks like it, it appears to me that it's probably compliant with CEQA. However, the procedures still have not been uh, disclosed. So uh, without that, it's not. It's still not compliant, and I'm just guessing, right? It needs to go through the process. So that's really all I had to say about that. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Garfield Kincross. Welcome, Speaker Kincross. Is he still here? Yes. There he is. You were sitting someplace else earlier. Welcome. Hello, Madam Mayor and uh, City Council members. Um, first of all, I want to apologize for the rhetoric in my email communication. It may have been a bit heavy-handed, but what has brought me to this point of uh, anger, and anger is not such a good thing because it drops a person's intelligence quotient to be angry. But I'm, uh, I'm very disappointed with the outcome of this uh, CIP and rent board uh, type of uh, management without answering or without respectively answering to the constituents who are renters in the city of Alameda. Uh, this has been in favor, and I don't think it's just an opinion. I, 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 I know that there are people that do not want this CIP that are paying rent, that don't have access to the benefits that a landed person or a, a private equity firm has. We should not carry the weight of, of what a person uh, who owns property 
to repair their property. We have no equity in that. It, it's, it's just wrong. Thank you. Our next speaker. Isabel Sullivan. Welcome, Speaker Sullivan. Good evening. Good evening. I have a short comment this evening in opposition to the capital improvement pass-through ordinance. Uh, property improvements are the responsibility of the owner, not the tenant, in a property. While I appreciate the move to place a cap on CIPs, the CIP ordinance undermines rent control in Alameda and can displace renters. Please keep the responsibility of property improvement with the property owners. Please do not make the issue of housing affordability that we have in this city worse than it already is. We need an ordinance that does away with capital improvement pass-throughs altogether on all properties, no matter the size of the property. Thank you. Thank you. Our next uh, speaker. Nancy Lewis. Welcome, Speaker Lewis. Do you need, did you want someone to come up and hold signs? That's okay. If do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Hello. I um, sent you some correspondence, Council. A picture. No home for the holidays. And be what sure do to you bring see? the mic to your level oh, so you sure. can hear you. Um, what do you see? You see CIP. I see a big box abandoned, dirty in the park, left over from the fortunate individuals who excitedly unpacked an expensive ticket luxury gift item. Do you see a, a prop, for instance, at the beach for the 4th of July bonfire, a paid holiday for some folks sitting around, sharing giggles and s'mores? You should see pushing for getting more, more, and more. It's never enough in this shiny city. Stop the folly. What I see in this box, the others, the other folks who are on a fixed income, who don't have enough income to keep the lights on or the heat on, families who are hungry in need of a single box of an off-brand cereal to feed their kids, or a treat, a box of Cracker Jacks with a prize in it too. I see the sadder souls, the other half of Alamedians existing on the other side of the fancy tracks, <clears throat> scrapping along month to month to keep a roof over their heads. I see fear, anguish, and anger in their faces. I think you see it too. The real big red box in this room tonight is the actual shelter from the shoreline breeze, a gusty wind, the protection of rains from El Nino for the displaced homeless woman living in Washington Park. Could you donate your big empty holiday gift boxes to us? You can cleverly, deceitfully claim on a tax deduction. The chimney perched here. Thank you, and your time is up. Our next speaker. 
Stacy Rodriguez. Welcome, Speaker Rodriguez. Hello again, I'm your neighbor, I'm your colleague, I am an Alamedan and we share this fair city and the fair city is unfair. I feel very disappointed in the events of the last several meetings, whereas we on October 25th thought that we had made strides all of this last 14 months we've been speaking to you, we've been writing letters, we've been sending petitions, and I feel that the council is hearing us. However, I don't feel that the council really understands the gravity of how this will take rent control down. And you will be falling into the ploy of these large corporations like Blackstone who systematically use the CIP to push people out. It's not instant, it's not obvious, it's underhanded, it's calculated. The mom and pop landlords need help. They need other means for making improvements, but the CIP is a plan for which large corporations can take advantage with their deep pockets, their lawyers, and their profiteering. A disproportionate percentage of renters are people of color, elderly, and citizens of modest incomes. Most likely, many of the dedicated community people who were honored at the Mia Bonta Awards that you attended, Tracy, are renters and live in properties between five and 24 units. I fear that by changing the city Council vote and allowing CIP for smaller properties, you have started a trajectory down a path for Alameda, which will be hard to escape from. Thank you. Our next speaker. Ivan Rudenko. Welcome, Speaker Rudenko. Come on up. Hi. Oh, hello, your honorable council. And you know, you'll want to bring the microphone up a little closer to you. There okay. you go. Uh, well, I am here for the second time, and I will improvise just as I did about like months and a half ago, and I, you know, I am uh, a resident of, of Alameda for 22 years, and what I followed uh, uh, politics and developments like on and off, I, you know, I have my own problems to survive, and I followed uh, the garage um, uh, when the theater was uh, being renovated, that agenda, and then rent control. And uh, that was what, like uh, four years ago? And I also mentioned that uh, I know a little bit Mr. Tony Daysog because I, I refer to him as my neighbor. Well, <clears throat> Mr. Daysog, he just has a house there. Apparently, I learned he, he doesn't live there. So you, Mr. Daysog, you, you are a landlord. And uh, so th th this whole thing is, you know, it's a relationship between landlords and, and uh, renters. And uh, I think that uh, people who have a stake in it, they should excuse themselves. Because otherwise, you know, you are completely corrupt. You know, like I, I have a like, big respect for Mayor, uh, Madam Ashkarov, but uh, 
you know, the, the, the way that you operate. And, you know, I, I, Mr. Daysock doesn't remember me, but I, I talked to him uh, like two times and I congratulated him to being reelected to, to the council. And I asked him what's the pay for it. And he said, it's small. So then you ask, so why, why is he here? Well, obviously he's here to protect his interests, you know, as, as a landlord. And uh, about other, I, I don't have even like any illusions about uh, Madam Jensen. And and I, I'm just going to stop and we can freeze the clock. Public comment is a time to comment on issues. It is not a time to make any direct attacks on um, well, I, I members of the council. General, I, I don't know as many details about other members. And thank you. Now your thank time you is up. Much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, the remote speaker didn't raise his hand again, but I'm assuming he's still here and wants to speak. Efren Williams. Welcome, Speaker Williams. Are you there? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. So thank God that we have rent control, and then we ended up having banking, and then came CIP. And, you know, what's going to be added next? Uh, when it comes to humanity and um, housing and affordability, uh, uh, for for food and the, the 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 necessities to live, there should be no questions on stopping whatever it is that is preventing human beings to live um, um, uh, accordingly. Uh, homelessness is solvable and 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 should not exist in the United States. Um, homelessness has increased nationwide across all household types. Um, an outsized impact on communities of color. While black people make up about 13% of the U.S. population, they comprise 37% of people experiencing homelessness. And 50% of those people who are experiencing homelessness as a member or a family with children. The Asian or Asian American population saw the biggest increase in the rate of homelessness between 2022 and 2023 with a 40% increase. The biggest numerical growth in people experiencing homelessness was among Latinos. There were 28% more Latinos who were unhoused in 2023 than a year prior. The bottom line is this, we have to take action that giving a landlord, whether small uh, mom and pops or large corporations don't give them the power because every time we feed in a new percentage it pushes individuals even further to becoming homeless thank you all very much and happy holidays thank you very much our next speaker uh, cam Bowie. welcome speaker Bowie. everyone can you hear me yes we can hi Hi everyone, I'm Cam Bowie. I've spent over 25 years in the Bay Area. This is my second year in Alameda. Uh, I've been a renter all my life, except in phases when I've experienced housing insecurity. Uh, even then, over the years, I paid over $180,000 in rent, often to poorly maintained apartments, to landlords who own multiple apartments as investments instead of homes. It's been a struggle to afford to stay close to my family and community in the Bay. And I asked you, City Council, why I also have to be subsidizing someone else's business investment. I'm struggling so hard to buy a home 
and have steady housing, much like many of your residents. And I tell you, my life is different now where I haven't experienced housing insecurity in a while. And being secure in housing, being able to have a home has changed how I connect with my community. I ask you to give your residents a chance to connect with your community and build equity instead of adding to the bank of uh, someone who's using housing as a business investment. Please reject the CIP plan for smaller properties. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Tony Grimm. Welcome, Speaker Grimm. Good evening, everybody. I've spoken a lot on this subject over the past few years, so you may be tired of hearing from me. I only want to say maybe a new, a couple of new things. According to the law that you have set up right now, people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk would qualify as a small mom and pop landlord and be able to pass 100% of their property improvements on to renters in Alameda. This is wrong. This is not equity. It is wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. Will you please listen to the letters, the people who come and speak before the council? Will you read the letters that people send in? You, I don't think you are. I think you're turning deaf ears to your constituents. Please vote no on CIP. Thank you. I'll assume that was the end of the comment. Our next uh, speaker. Uh, Sharon Stambra. Stambra, sorry. Welcome, Speaker, maybe Stambaugh. You will, you will correct us. Welcome. Hi, this is my first time to ever speak publicly like this. And um, welcome. I, I will tell you right now, I'm very blunt and to the point, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but what the heck? I mean, the CIP thing is an interest-free gift to landlords. I don't understand how this is going to work out. Did anybody work out any details on how this is going to play out? You're telling me that if the landlord wants to put a new roof on, that I have to pay for it, along with my fellow uh, renter neighbors. Do we have any consumer protection rights with this proposition? Do we have the ability to review the bids on the contract to do the job? Do we get to see if they're worthy, a, a trustworthy business to perform the job? We don't get to get a tax write-off. We don't get equity in this. What the heck is this thing even for but a, a tool to undermine rent control in Alameda? I ask you to vote this thing down and please do not resurrect it again. Thank you. Thank you, our next speaker. That was our last speaker. All right. Um, so the question that I have is to my colleagues, um, who, and not Councilmember Vela, because we voted um, before um, to oppose the expanded CIP, but we have had an opportunity to hear from. Uh, point of order. If if we want to take this off the agenda, make this an agenda item, then then I think we should. I have three minutes to, to discuss this, Councilmember right. Vice Mayor Desak. Okay, so. Point of order. I just want to clarify, we can ask questions after the public speakers and not, we're not required to ask the questions in advance. Because then yeah, I, we I all would have like three to be minutes. able to. Yes, all right, all right, thanks. 
So what I'm asking is if my colleagues would reconsider. I think we've heard from a lot of uh, the renter community. I think if we're paying attention to the news, and I maybe attend more regional meetings and statewide meetings than, than some of us, but everywhere we go, we're hearing that more and more people are slipping through the cracks into housing, into security, um, and into eventually into homelessness. Um, the warming shelter just opened at Christ Episcopal Church, and that is lovely. It'll be open from uh, December through April. For people who don't have a stable roof over their head, it's a wonderful facility. I would like to put it out of business, and we could do that. We could help do that. Soon in the month of January, some of us will participate in the point in time count, going out early in the morning and counting people who are sleeping in the bushes, um, unsheltered in cars, what have you. But it shouldn't just be an exercise in counting. It should hopefully propel us, compel us to ask what can we do about it and not to contribute to that, to that situation. So we know that a significant number of renters are housing burdened, which means they pay more than 30% of their income on housing costs, sometimes 50% or more, forcing them to make choices like, do I fill my prescriptions this month? Do I pay this utility bill? How much can I feed my children? We, as elected officials, have an opportunity to change that. And so um, if Alameda truly is a community where everyone belongs, our adopted slogan, let's make that a reality. Let's, let's put, our, put our actions where, um, where our values are. So I would love to have you consider voting down this measure, um, 5H, and voting in the more modified one that was approved once before. Thank you, and Councilmember. Um, I think Councilmember Harris Spencer asked to speak first, and then we'll go to you, Councilmember Vela. Go ahead, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Um, and I want to thank the public speakers, um, and I, I do read the emails and I listen to you. Um, I wanted to ask a question in regards to this CIP that uh, is the proposed ordinance. Does it have a low income exemption? <clears throat> and um, who would like to answer that? I, I'm happy to, Madam Mayor. Uh, Councilmember, yes, it does. And does this CIP proposed ordinance have caps on the amount of pass-through? It does. And on fair return, is there a pass-through? Uh, fair return is a federal constitutional requirement uh, and not governed by local law. But could it result in a pass-through? It would result in a rent increase if it's approved, yes. All right, so that's actually called a rent increase as yes. opposed to, okay, so I appreciate yes. that. And is there any uh, low income exemption on that rent increase? Uh, a renter's income uh, does not come into play in a fair return application. All right, and would there be any caps on the amount of any uh, rent increase on a fair return application? Um, it's not governed by local law, so there, uh, we, we cannot legislate a cap, but the limitations will be imposed by what the landlords can demonstrate uh, as part of the application. Which may or may, which, so my question to you though was, uh, would there, is there any, our proposed ordinance has a cap on the amount of pass-through. Under fair return, is, is there a cap on the amount of the rent increase? No, Thank not you. locally. Thank you. And Councilmember Rivella. Um, in an ideal world, we would not, in my mind, be here tonight. Um, but I, I, my concern is this: we are 
a week away from Christmas. We're in the middle of the holidays. Um, you know, I think we've heard from a number of people. There have been people that have emailed in. My ask would be that there there be time to give notice because I do think people, uh, uh, you know, I'm still talking to people who think that what we voted on back in October is what we have moved forward with, that there be time to, to um, give people notice that this is the change that the council is making and to take this up uh, in the new year uh, to give time for, for you know, more input and, and notice to folks. Um, that, that would be my preference and my ask. Vice Mayor Desai? Well, yes, um, because we need to stick to questions in this period. For the questions for staff is, does this not, the CIP as adopted, does this not incorporate hardship um, for families who are either buried, who are low income or very low income or extremely low income? Does this not incorporate hardship so that what that, and, and does not hardship mean that for those who seek hardship because of their very low income or extremely low income or low income status, what hardship means is that they would not be subject to the CIP uh, Councilmember Desoc, that is correct. Thank you. Um, I, I, it's, it's just, is there a way where we can better communicate with the Alameda tenants, especially, that there are these hardships for low income, very low income, and extremely low income families, those who are facing the type of trade-offs that the residents here had discussed. It's not perfect, but there are these kinds of hardships in place. Uh, Is there a way to better, have we thought about ways to communicate that to the broader um, community? And let me ask you, Councilmember Desog, do you realize that even teachers in the Alameda Unified School District who would not qualify for low income uh, provisions can't afford to live in the city and it's making it harder to hire teachers? There are these hardships for those who are at most risk for the low income, very low income, and extremely low income. I do realize that. Councilman Ravella. And so my, 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 my question, though, was, was are there, have we employed, have we thought about strategies to communicate that there are these hardships that give exemptions from the CIP? Uh, Councilmember, I'll start, and my colleague, Director Bill Chapin, can. Um, my inclination is that the rent program engages in essentially monthly workshops for both landlords and tenants to provide information about all aspects of the rent control ordinance. Um, any ordinance change that is adopted by the council, if it is adopted tonight, we would certainly incorporate into those um, workshops that will go on in the new year. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> thank you very much. Uh, I will just add that. Uh, uh, rent program is already uh, looking at uh, updating all of our materials uh, that relate to CIP, uh, you know, including uh, the information that's posted on our website and our forms uh, once a uh, there is final passage uh, of an ordinance and we know what the details uh, are. Uh, but we have had discussions about uh, updating uh, updating those materials. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
And, and back to you, Councilmember Bella. So just to be clear, in order to qualify, what is the income level? <laughs> don't don't it, go too far. We're talking about an exemption to the CIP or, or a reduction, uh, hardship reduction. So, so how, what is uh, the, the tenant level? hardship uh, provision as it's written, uh, the, the details will be outlined in an administrative ordinance, or I'm sorry, administrative regulation. Um, <clears throat> we, we have uh, begun drafting that. Uh, but just to be clear, uh, as it is currently drafted, uh, the the uh, the provision is available to uh, those who make less uh, eighty percent or less of the area median income. Which is how much? Um, uh, it varies based on household size. Uh, if you give me a moment, I can look up what those. And, uh, and those do I? Are. I'm just looking back because I see Lisa Fitz, who works in the housing. Are you are you looking that up? Because Okay, if anybody, if anybody has that information, uh, any staff members, that is, please. Uh, um, you, you have but uh, because that is uh, a part of a, a regulation that we are looking at drafting, if council were to give us direction uh, to, uh, to use a, a different standard for the 10 hardship uh, provision, we would look at that. Uh, in addition to the area median income, uh, we, uh, it is also written so that if the tenant is already a recipient of a means-tested uh, public assistance program, they would also qualify. Here's my concern. My concern is, is that um, when you actually look at the numbers of what that household income is, um, considering the actual cost of living here and how much of incomes are going to paying rent in a city like Alameda, um, people are one bad day away from losing housing. One bad day. A car accident that's not their fault, a health issue that comes up, um, different things. My concern, if the council is to move forward with this, and to be clear, I'm, I am certainly voting against 5H, um, but if the council is to move forward with this, I would ask that the provisions relative to the hardship come back to council uh, in a timely manner, and that we are able to weigh in relative to what the threshold is, because I do think that there's a significant problem with going with um, the 80% threshold, um, just based off of the, the cost of living and the realities of how few people are gonna actually even have access to that, on top of the fact that um, in order to qualify for a lot of the public assistance means testing uh, requires um, documentation that some people uh, may not have or may not be comfortable submitting to the city where um, you know I think we have to lay out what the uh, an address to make sure that privacy issues are addressed um, that, that information what the processes are going to be because it's very different applying uh, for these provisions within the city than applying for other programs um, and do you want to share whatever information you just gathered? And yes, then a yes. Question, so the, and before you start, oh, Mr. Chapin, a question to my colleague. Um, Councilmember, are you saying you'd like to see those threshold, thresholds raised? Yes. Okay. So let's hear some numbers from you. Uh, sure. So uh, for Alameda County, the current area median income, 80% uh, of the area median income would range from about $78,000 for a, uh, a one-person household up to about $148,000 uh, annually for an eight-person uh, household. 
Sorry, can you repeat that? Say, say this again, 78000 So uh, for a, a one-person household at 80% of the area median income, that is about $78,000 uh, annual uh, income. So uh, you know, a, a single person uh, who earns less than $78,000 uh, would be able to uh, apply for this uh, tenant hardship uh, provision, up to uh, if it is a, a family with uh, eight, uh, eight people, um, then uh, if they earned less than 148,000 uh, roughly, uh, they, would, uh, they would be able to apply for a tenant hardship. Thank you. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you. Um, can you clarify, would, is, are, is the value of the benefits not included in that if someone is working and they have benefits? You, when you're saying the 78,000, is that uh, not including benefits? Um, uh, well, if, uh, if a person is, uh, I, and I apologize for this if is If they're not, employed uh, and they get benefits as well as the hourly rate, you're only looking at the Gross, uh, gross income. income. Uh, it, it's it's based on uh, an income. Um, so, uh, however, the income would be reported on taxes would uh, I okay. believe be what we would be looking. Okay. At. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Councilmember Ravella? Yeah. My concern is seventy eight thousand. When you reduce the amount that gets taken in federal state taxes, is not seventy eight thousand dollars, and the threshold is seventy eight thousand dollars prior to taxes. So, um, if you look at rent being, you know, close let's say to $2,000 a month, that doesn't include food, that doesn't include costs for insurance, co-payments, other necessities, um, you're looking at more than 50% of that person's income. Thank you, Council. And let me just make sure that I hear from everyone first. Anyone else on this side of the dais? But the, the Vice Mayor Desog. Isn't it correct, though, that the CIP hardship is not based upon the net of the income, that is 78000 for a household of one, roughly 79000 for a household of one, minus the expenses that Councilmember Vela raised. Rather, the eligibility to the hardship is based upon the gross of 79000 So it's so it's, it's based upon that, that, that someone can, can, you know, Claim. Uh, and for I, a house I believe claim. that that is uh, how we would be evaluating would be based on, on gross income. Uh, again, this uh, this is part of it. these details uh, are identified in the ordinance that you uh, that you're considering tonight as these sorts of details as being determined in an administrative regulation that does have the ability to be changed and certainly we could do so with with council direction if. Uh, and isn't it correct that the determination as to the area median income is something that's subject to council discussion? It could be Alameda County, or it could be a combination of counties in the Bay Area. For example, San Francisco, you know, their, their income is much higher, which would therefore change the thresholds, the dollar thresholds. Certainly. Uh, again, uh, the, these these details are are able to be 
uh, are able to be tweaked. That's one reason that we uh, identified them as something to do via administrative regulation as opposed to uh, written into uh, into the ordinance. But we could certainly uh, take a look at uh, any you know any number of uh, you know adjustments to uh, uh, just uh, the <clears throat> our, our basis. Uh, for what we have in the draft regulation is pretty much based on the language in uh, San Francisco's tenant hardship uh, provision uh, and what what they use uh, to qualify tenants for uh, uh, an exemption from their CIP program. Thank you. Councilmember Jensen. Um, thank you. So uh, earlier this year, the city council established a moratorium on CIP for buildings with more than 25 units. And I just joined the city council when that took place. Um, until that action, what was the CIP policy? Um, previous to uh, the moratorium, um, <clears throat> uh, landlords of any size unit uh, were eligible to apply uh, for uh, for a capital improvement plan, uh, and were uh, eligible to pass 100% of the amortized cost of those improvements. Uh, onto onto tenants. Was there a hardship test for tenants? For could tenants say that they couldn't afford it? Uh, there was not. Was there a was this, the CIP capped at a certain percentage of the annual rent? Uh, could it be more than? Uh, no, there there was not a cap on the amount of uh, the pass through, uh, and, and that uh, sorry, and that continues to be the active policy currently. Uh, and with unless uh, as um, we acted to meetings ago, unless this is approved, to um, then that would establish the hardship clause as well as a cap on the CIP. Correct. And that cap would be what amount? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I realize this this is a little confusing. I will try to uh, try to simplify it as much as I can. What our intention with the rent program staff is to do this as follows. When, uh, the, uh, when there is first an application uh, for a CIP with a pass-through, we would be looking at a 5% cap. Uh, we would look at the amortized cost, pass-through to each one of the units. Um, if, the, uh, if, that, uh, if the monthly pass-through is more than 5% of the tenant's rent, we would be extending the amortization period to get it down to 5%. That is, in essence, the maximum CIP pass. That establishes the maximum CIP pass-through. Now, when it comes time to do an annual rent increase, we would be looking at the combination of the AGA, uh, the, the annual general adjustment based on uh, inflation, plus any banking that uh, the landlord is eligible to use and chooses, uh, chooses to implement, plus that maximum CIP pass-through that's based on the 5% at the time of approval. If the combination of all of that adds up to more than 8% of the tenant's rent prior to that annual rent increase, uh, the landlord would need to reduce it uh, to get it down to 8%, either by uh, taking less than the maximum CIP pass-through or uh, not uh, implementing the banked, uh, banked amounts. Thank you. That's very helpful. So um, this policy change would limit CIP to 5% 
down from unlimited CIP that was in place that has been in place since the rent program was established. That's correct. And tenants that meet certain income levels will not have to pay the CIP or get a lower CIP. Uh, t tenants who uh, meet the eligibility requirements for tenant hardship and apply and are approved for that, uh, they uh, would they would be exempt from any CIP pass-throughs that are approved for the building. Thank you. And so um, I appreciate Mayor Izzy Ashcroft, you asking questions of Ma Vice Mayor Desog. And so um, I have a question for, for you and for Councilmember Vela. I hear both of you suggesting that there will be many tenants who will be forced out of housing due to this new CIP policy, which actually establishes CIP barriers and um, limits for the first time. And so given your strong feelings, I'm interested to know how you both were able to approve the initial rent control policy, which did not mention, much less cap, CIP. Um, I would like to make a motion to add a little more time to our time because that's a complex question you just asked the two of us. How much time did you ask for? Sorry. Um, if we could bring everybody up to two minutes. Well, I would want two additional minutes. I'd want to do the same for everyone. So Not two additional, additional for bring each, it all up of us. to two. For, for each of us? Yes. Well, I already have two, so that would bring me up to almost four. No, oh. it's bringing everybody up to two is and what I'm I would agreeable. ask for. I'll move additional time. Just to bring everyone to two minutes. Everyone to give each council member and the mayor two minutes. So she was saying to cap it at two, not to give us each two new minutes, just to give her two minutes, but not no, me. To make it equal that everyone from this moment on has two more minutes. I believe we have a motion. That's my motion. And is it seconded? Second. All right. Um, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 No. I'll make a, uh, I'll make a, a, another motion where it gives everybody one minute. An additional minute. Yeah, just everyone. I'm happy to second Wait, that. Wait, an additional <clears throat> minute, or everyone has one minute on their clock? That would actually be a reduction of my time <laughs> if we give them one minute. So an additional minute, I'm agreeable to. Okay, I don't want to spend all night on a motion. Okay, um, the vice mayor has made a motion to give everyone one more minute. Do I have a second? I seconded. Do I have four votes? All those in favor, say by the state of aye. 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 Okay, let's do it. Okay. Council Member Vela. So I was not uh, part of the original council that voted on uh, the rent, uh, the original ordinance, um, but I did vote on uh, the updated ordinance, and there had been direction to staff to come back on the CIP after negotiating with everybody, so it was not the intent of this council or previous councils to stick with the current structure of the CIP, but in fact to put restrictions on it. So Thank you. I just want to clarify that, and my hope would be that if the desire is to move forward with it, then rather than just leave it to staff to create that regulatory structure, we give additional uh, direction to staff to consider the cost of living and the real cost of living. The point of the gross is the fact that 78,000 is not actually 78,000. You're actually working with a lot less than that. And if 24,000 is going to rent, that doesn't leave you a lot of room, especially if there's a 10% or 8% increase. 
And for my answer, there were a lot of moving parts when we um, enacted the rent control ordinance, and we always knew that we would be coming back to this, but I would urge you, rather than to feel good about, oh, it could have been so much worse, let's put in those strong protections now. Let's believe the statistics. I'm not making this up. I think you read a lot of the same things I do. Let's increase that threshold, because I think that we could all agree that that 78,000 gross doesn't leave you much monthly income. So I would like to see, um, you know, we're losing the middle class and we're losing families with children, we're losing teachers, we're losing childcare workers. It has, it has um, ramifications. Let's do more to protect these folks. Um, did you want to, Councilmember Bell, do you have any suggestion for what that might look like? I would sorry. just direct staff, sorry, direct staff to come back um, after meeting with the different stakeholder groups and then to give get council direction in the new year as soon as possible. I just want a quick comment. Of course. So I just want to make a quick comment. This whole thing about gross and net, the point of having it set at 70 for a, for a household of one at roughly $79,000 is so that that household who we all know has expenses such as electricity, food, we all know that, but that household is saved from the burden of the CIP being passed on. That's the point. That household is um, eligible for hardship so they don't have this one more thing hoisted on them in addition to the housing, uh, in addition to electricity and everything else. That's the point of having it. And you know, we can you know, work with staff to come up with what the area median is, that's fine. I'm just trying to expand the pool of renters who don't have one more thing foisted on them. There, that's the point. This does not hoist one more thing on them for, the, for those who are eligible for hardship. We need to look a little more broadly than that, I would argue. I, Council I, I would just like to. Okay, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We do this by turn. I saw Councilmember Horace Spencer's hand up first, and then I will call on you, Councilmember Horace Spencer. Happy to have her there. Okay, she says that you can go first, so please. Um, I just would like to ask staff, or maybe um, Mayor Ziashkoff, do you have this information? What is the data regarding the number of renters who have lost housing due to a rent increase based on CIP during the last five, six years that the rent? that the CIP has not been capped or, or, um, or reviewed? Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you were, uh, what? The, um, city attorney or who, I, I mean, do we, yes, please. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, there, the, the current CIP policy, and this is another change uh, with the ordinance that uh, you are uh, considering uh, for second reading here uh, tonight. Uh, the, the current CIP policy allows landlords, when the work is expected to take longer than six months, to permanently terminate the tenancy. What we, that has been what has been more common for us to see as opposed to uh, uh, CIP pass-throughs and the rent burden uh, of an additional CIP uh, leading uh, to displacement. Uh, there has only been one uh, CIP that has been approved and moved on to uh, the, uh, uh, the 
capital improvement costs being passed on to tenants. And honestly, those, uh, those increases have only happened in the last month. Uh, and so those, uh, I, I just happen to know that those tenants remain uh, in their units. Uh, but it, the, the, more, the, the larger concern in terms of displacement comes from the current policy being uh, available to landlords to permanently terminate a tenancy. And I will just add that increased rent can drive people away. Could, um, to that point, thank you, Madam Mayor, so it, it, could the rent name be increased um, from a CIP uh, um, by enough, like, what would be the potential, say, for the um, tenants of South Shore Center if there was a, um, a consumer, consumer price index of, say, 5% next year, and then the, their neighbors who were who were not um, in, in a unit that was less than 25 units, and they, their landlord was able to get a CIP approved for some amount. What would be the maximum that if the South Shore tenants were paying 5% more because of CPI, what would be the maximum that their, their CIP passed through smaller unit neighbors would pay? Um, I, do we need a little clarification? This is, I'm just administratively asking, do we need a little clarification on the South Shore tenant situation? Yeah. Uh, Council member, maybe maybe I can attempt to answer answer and, and in that you can further direct me if I'm answering incorrectly. Um, for properties over 25 units, obviously there is uh, uh, under any version of the ordinance and under the moratorium there is no CIP pass through. Um, so under any version under existing law and under the current ordinance that's pending before you, the maximum limit is 8%, which would uh, that cap includes. Um, uh, the cost of living adjustment plus banking. For South Shore, what about for a, a apartment or a units that were nearby South Shore, less than 25 units that had approved CIP? What could the amount be for those tenants? Is that under existing law or in, under the ordinance before you? Uh, yeah. Under the ordinance before you, there would be an 8% cap that includes the cost of living adjustment, banking, and capital improvement plan. So the 8% cap applies it, it includes CIP, and it, 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 there can be no rent increase above 8% with this ordinance. Unless, well, that, that's right. well, let's not get into that's fair, right. Richard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. This caps our local, our local authority would cap any rent increase right. with this ordinance to 8%. So that's right. to the point, um, the concerns of people losing their housing, I'm sure that's valid in that. And uh, I think that with the hardship, personally, in my opinion and my um, position is that with the hardship and with the cap of 8% that there may be tenants unfortunately that will if this there's a lot of CIPs approved there may be tenants that would pay 2% more under a CIP in units under 25 units that would be if the landlord is meeting the requirements doing the work and making the, the upgrades that are approved 2% to 3% more perhaps than someone who is not under CIP <coughs> in either um, over 25 units. And so my final question is then, um, what about like all the other apartments? We have, don't we have a lot of apartments in Alameda that aren't in rent control? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, at the, uh, the rent ordinance, uh, and, and the rent program and administering the rent ordinance, we divide uh, every uh, rental unit in the city and uh, classify it as either fully regulated or partially regulated. 
the vast majority are fully regulated, which means that they are subject uh, to uh, the, the annual uh, uh, adjustment uh, rent cap. Uh, there are about 4,000, I believe, uh, rental units uh, is our estimate in the city that are partially regulated, which are primarily single-family homes uh, that are rented by a tenant or condominiums. And are there any units that are not regulated at all? Any apartments in Alameda? Uh, uh, nothing that is is rented to a tenant. Uh, so all of the new buildings at um, Alameda Point and at um, at the northern waterfront, those are all under rent control? Uh, council member, anything uh, that is new construction after 1995 is considered partially regulated, uh, which means it's not subject to the annual general adjustment, but it is subject to the rent ordinances protections for uh, no-fault terminations of tenancy. But could the rent increase be for those units? Uh, for any partially regulated unit, uh, due to state law, uh, the city is not able to implement a percentage cap on the uh, rent increase, so the landlord is, is eligible to increase the rent uh, by whatever they see fit. Is there an opportunity for the city to develop some um, rent control for those units? Um, uh, <laughs> not not uh, as long as uh, the current state law remains in place. I see. Thank you. Uh, City Attorney Shen. And, and, and Council Member, just to add, there is a state law that caps rent increases to 10%, and so obviously that is not regulated by our rent program because we don't administer state law, but we would argue that that's likely applicable. Th thank you for that clarification. <laughs> uh, Council Member Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Um, first of all, I wanted to clarify that, that this three minutes that we get, it's, I don't think it's on the agenda in regards to the consent. Item, the it's in your here. rules of order that are adopted right. on the website. So, um, I personally, and, and I want to clarify, it's not just for questions. We can talk for three minutes. We don't yes. have to ask questions. Yes. Okay, so that was some change, right? Uh, so I want to make sure we all understand the, the rules, the, the current rules. Um, but I also wanted to thank uh, Member Jensen for your comments because some people, some renters may not understand that, that the newer uh, apartments actually do not fall under all of these rules that we create, that we're creating. There are differences in that state law. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, and I also wanted to sh um, share that I appreciate what staff has done. You all have been meeting with the tenants and the landlords and comparing all of the different uh, policies. Uh, and, and you've came you, after, okay, it's been, when was the last time this came to council? This is um, <clears throat> uh, uh, we ha uh, staff has brought uh, um, uh, revisions to the CIP policy uh, to to the council uh, in 2021, 2022, uh, and now 2023. So the current CIP policy was from 2022. Uh, no, the current CIP policy remains the policy that was initially passed in 2016 with uh, the first rent stabilization ordinance. Okay, so, so I appreciate that because um, 2016. I was on council then, even though I wasn't asked about that. I was on council then, and I don't even know if I supported it or not, and my guess is that I didn't because I don't think I supported I think it was a, like a package. Um, however, um, as many times as it's come back to council, there have been council members that have said, oh, 
let's bring it back again. Oh, right, that's correct, right? We've, had, we've not been able to get a majority of council to support actually changing a policy since 2016. Is that correct? Uh, council member, each time staff has brought the uh, a revised CIP policy to you, the direction has been to do uh, additional research and to meet with stakeholders. So um, that is why, honestly, since 2016, here we are seven years later at the end, right, trying, trying one more time to get to three. Um, and I, so I will be supporting it. There has been a lot of conversation back and forth in seven years with all of the parties, and I am a renter, um, and I rent uh, an older uh, home that uh, I think needs repairs. Uh, a lot of places do. I mean, they're older homes. That's the reality. Uh, but um, uh, So I am happy to uh, move forward, and can at some point in the future, uh, Someone could do a referral, it could come back, and there could be modifications. Is that correct? <clears throat> yes, council member. Right, so there is a process where it can come back again, but I'm happy to support it as is. I think seven years is a good enough long time. Uh, so do we need a motion then to, so um, I'm happy to move the, well, uh, You'll Go need ahead. a motion on the entire consent yeah. calendar, and anybody can record it. Uh, say they're going to record a no vote because this is being taken action on as part of the entire consent calendar. Okay, great. Not so, voted okay, on separately. So, is there any appetite for uh, giving staff direction to increase the threshold? All right. So, um, <clears throat> with that, um, so you're looking to do a. Um, a yeah, Councilmember Vella. Uh, Councilmember Vella, yes. For a family of four, the income level to qualify. Uh, give me just a moment. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank uh, you to Ms. Lisa Fitz from. Yes. Uh, a family of four, uh, roughly one hundred twelve thousand uh, dollars, gross. So people who are taking home less than $80,000, just to be clear, we are not going to give hardship to. Thank you. No, no, it's 112000 Is is the... Net, net. After you take out taxes. Because you, you can't pay taxes towards what they're gone. It's not money you have. All right. So if we are looking at a um, motion to approve the balance of the calendar, and if my colleagues... Um, will not budge on this. I am recording my no vote on item 5H. I'm a no on 5H. And Councilmember Spencer, you have a motion. So moved. Uh, is there a second? Second. All right, the um, approval of the consent calendar minus the two no votes on item 5H by Councilmember Vela and myself has been moved by Councilmember Herrera Spencer, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor of approving the balance of the consent calendar with the no votes as um, noted, signify by stating aye. 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 All right. So um, with that, we close the consent calendar and we move on to the regular agenda. And um, and uh, Madam Clerk, uh, you, I'm going to call on you to introduce item 7A, but I also want to let my council colleagues know 
that um, we need more time on the clock, but that's coming. Yes. Um, this is a very important presentation that's been a long time coming. As you know, staff presentations are allocated 10 minutes. I would like to ask that we um, vote to give 10 minutes of presentation time. They might not need it, but I don't want anyone feeling like they have to rush 15, through. 15. So to, to have 15 minutes total, which is giving them five extra minutes. Right. Okay. So, so I've um, had a motion uh, seconded by uh, uh, Vice Mayor Desag, and um, all those in favor of um, increasing uh, the presentation time to 15 minutes instead of 10 signify by stating aye. I have aye. Any opposed? The motion carries. Um, was that unanimous, maybe? Well, I was going to ask a question. Um, well, I think we just had a vote, but. I know you, I don't think you called on me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, that's what happens. If, uh, uh, okay. you, you have a question? Yeah, so if we're, I agree that this is an important topic and I appreciate, you know, giving staff more time, but I would also for, uh, request for us to consider giving ourselves more time to discuss this item. That is not part of my motion. We have nine minutes apiece. Okay, so I do believe that we had um, at least four votes. Is that correct, Madam Clerk? I, I didn't get the final vote. Okay, sorry. So I, I think it was four, but I didn't get it. Yeah. All those in favor of increasing the staff presentation time from 10 minutes to 15 minutes signify by stating aye. 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 All those opposed? It was five. It's five. Thank okay. you. Thank you. For All that. right. Sorry. And welcome, uh, Sarah Henry. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. I'm Sarah Henry, Communications Director, and I've been part of uh, the Equity Working Group made up of city employees from all departments and at all levels of employment that's presenting this item to you tonight. The staff report and the presentation share information about the efforts we've taken over the past 18 months. Part of the due diligence that was done prior to forming the Equity Working Group was to conduct a series of interviews and survey all staff, and we've updated the meeting agenda packet to include findings from that confidential staff survey. Tonight you'll hear from two members of the Equity Working Group, Lisa Cooper and Rachel Wagstaff, who will share a set of 14 recommendations. While these recommendations serve as a foundation for the city's DEIB work, they are just the beginning of what will be a much longer journey to improving diversity, equity, inclusivity, and belonging internally in the city of Alameda. Our next step is to continue to work in a cross-departmental committee and develop potential strategies that could be used to implement the recommendations, find ways to measure our progress, and provide regular updates. I'd now like to turn things over to City Manager Ott. Great. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I just wanted to say I really want to get to the to the presentation and the substance of it, but I do just want to say a couple things. One is to say that I wholeheartedly support this effort. Um, think it's a great uh, milestone in this process. Um, there's been a lot of work that's been done, a lot of hard work by the employee working group for nine months working on this. I'm so really proud of them for make, um, putting this recommendations together and presenting them to you tonight. Um, and a big thank you to all of them and all the hard work that they did. They, there was a process to make sure we had kind of a diverse group of employees, but it was optional to participate. So all the people that participated um, have a strong commitment to this and really put a lot of time and effort into working on this. Um, I also just want to say, unlike, this is very much a bottom-up kind of grassroots kind of effort. The, the working group put these recommendations together, presented them to the city manager, to, to me, to... Um, Assistant City Manager Wooldridge, and so we're really glad to be supporting them and, and meeting with them regularly and helping them move forward. And we'll talk a little more at the end about what our next steps are in terms of implementation. So now I'm going to turn it over to Lisa Cooper. 
Welcome. Well, I just one more thing. I just want to yeah. say the executive team member, almost all the executive team is here tonight to show their support as well for the employee working group. Thank you. Welcome. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council members. I'm going to start the presentation with just giving a brief background as to how we got here. Oh, just keep going. Keep going. So it's such background. That'll help from our friends. No. <laughs> May I should just there talk a little bit? Before we do that, I just want to mention the excess. There was a slide that I was supposed to present on that I didn't, so I apologize, but we can go back one um, on accessibility. And so there may be some conversations about accessibility and whether or not that should be included. Um, and I just want to say it is absolutely included. It's included in all the different aspects of what we're talking about here in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and so, so much so that, I mean, as the council knows, we're, we're working on an entirely separate uh, ADA transition plan process, and we've done a survey of staff, survey of the community, and those findings will get integrated into our implementation of this. We're absolutely supportive of accessibility being an integral part of these efforts, and there's some discussion about whether or not there should be an A, whether it should be DEIB or DEIA, and we're certainly, at this point, there's, we've been focused on DIB, but we're open as we as we go through the implementation phase to talking about whether or not we should be adding additional letters or added, changing the name of how this works. But I just wanted to mention that. Okay, back to the presentation. Welcome. So I'm going to give a little talk about the background and how we got here today. Um, Ms. Cooper, if you could make that microphone closer to you, we'd hear you better. Is this better? Thanks. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, so what is DEIB? As we've said here several times, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Diversity refers to the traits we're born with and the elements we develop in life, such as race, religion, economic background, sexual orientation, and many other factors. Equity gives each employee fair and equal access, opportunities, and advancements regardless of their diversity background. Inclusion ensures everyone on the team is treated fairly and respectfully uh, despite their differences. Belonging centers around the employee experience of feeling accepted in the workplace. Uh, some of the events that led up to this, the local event on May 23rd, 2020 was the arrest of Molly Watkins at the local level, and then just two days later on the national level was the death of George Floyd. And those led to marches, peaceful marches in Alameda, which then moved DEIB from a goal to a priority. Uh, city management, commitment to providing an environment where employees are able to be their authentic selves and feel like they belong here. 2019, the city joined the Government Alliance on Race and Equity and conducts initial trainings. 2021, Alameda expands the DEIB efforts and hires consultants to support staff. 2022, city management convenes two all-staff Zoom meetings, conducts 25 individual interviews with consultants, council members, supervisors, admin and field staff, facilitates six focus groups with diverse sampling of employees, and hosts a confidential staff survey with 298 residents. Respondents, sorry. 2023, the, equity, the staff equity working group create, was created to develop recommendations for improving DEIB internally within the city of Alameda. And from that group, there were four subcommittees, recruitment, hiring, onboarding, and career advancement, promotion, professional development, retention and harm prevention, communication, and culture. This slide shows the makeup of the equity working group, and you can see that it pretty much uh, all departments participated in this. So we had a representation from all across the board. 
So the subcommittees worked to create draft recommendations along with sample strategies that can help implement these recommendations that were presented to the equity group for feedback. Committees finalized their draft recommendations. A refinement committee was created to synthesize the draft recommendations. And the final draft recommendations were presented to all staff on October uh, 26 uh, with staff sharing feedback. Recommendations being presented tonight reflect the feedback we have heard to date. I'm now going to turn this over to my colleague uh, who will go through the recommendations. Welcome. So first sets of recommendations uh, have to do with recruitment, hiring, onboarding, and career advancement. Recommendation one, implement processes, policies, procedures that are fair, equitable, and structured to attract a diverse pool of candidates. The rationale behind this was that the city would like to attract a wider pool of qualified candidates and maintain the city's diverse workforce. Recommendation two is to develop clear, transparent, accessible, and fair hiring practices. And the why is because it's important for new and existing staff to have a hiring process that is transparent, fair, and accessible throughout the city and across all departments. Uh, recommendation three, develop policies and practices across the city that welcome new hires. The rationale for this is that ensuring that new hires feel welcome and a sense of belonging is important for team building and could help reduce turnover. Recommendation four, provide clear career pathways for new hires. Why? Uh, ensuring clarity and transparency for new staff to chart career pathways will encourage, career, uh, will encourage advancement and also uh, long-term retention. So then on to promotional, professional development, retention, and harm prevention. Recommendation five, provide transparent and equitable pathways and resources for promotional opportunities. The rationale for this was ensuring that strategies and requirements for staff advancement opportunities would be clear and will hopefully increase workplace satisfaction. Recommendation six, provide equitable access to professional development opportunities. The rationale for this was consistency in providing resources for funding and the professional development of staff increases workplace satisfaction and reduces turnover. Recommendation seven, build a stronger culture of belonging. Why? Creating a workplace where employees feel like they belong will help improve relationships between supervisors, managers, and their staff, as well as reducing turnover. Recommendation eight, provide harm prevention awareness and complaint resolution. The rationale for this is that enhancing the employee complaint process and the city's responsiveness to complaints will help address harm caused by unintended bias and microaggressions. On to communication. Recommendation nine, clarify the city's vision and provide an overview of departments and their roles. The rationale for this is that all staff should have access to broad information about the entire organization, including departments and the city council and boards and commissions. Recommendation 10, engage staff in the city's DEIB efforts. The rationale for this is that engaging staff in regular conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging encourages the fostering of equal opportunities and inclusiveness, as well as improves our communications internally. Recommendation 11, keep staff updated about the major projects and areas of concern within each department and across the city. Why? Staff will feel a greater sense of belonging if they are more familiar with what is happening in their own department and in other departments, just in case. Recommendation 12, encourage staff to engage in commu community relations with a strong commitment to customer service. 
The rationale for this is that providing staff with accessible, timely, and culturally sensitive information fosters better customer service interactions between staff and the residents and customers they serve. On to culture. Recommendation 13, establish employee core values for the city of Alameda. The rationale for this is that defined core values are an important foundation for creating a more inclusive culture that reflects the diversity of the city of Alameda. And lastly, but not least, recommendation 14, create a permanent DEIB working group or committee and full-time staff position. The rationale for this is that a permanent location for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging resources will provide continuity of staff engagement and strengthen the city's commitment to DEIB principles. And with all of that, I turn it over to City Manager Ott. Thank you very much, and welcome Thank back. You. So quickly, um, we did receive some feedback that we wanted to summarize from the all-employee Zoom. There was a lot of appreciation for the work that had been done. Um, there was interest in developing strategies to measure success or fa failure and questions about how we were going to do that, which we, we think is a great question and something we've already started talking about. Um, suggesting also more inclusion of part-time employees, recommend maybe department open houses, ways that we can really have more cross-training, um, and wanting to make sure that we have onboarding for new employees, that it's offered to existing employees. So I think some people that maybe didn't have those onboarding opportunities, if we start to do all these new programs, maybe ways that we can also make sure that we're addressing those, some of those same issues with existing employees. Um, more opportunities for, for online and, and DEIB education and training. Um, and that some of these recommendations should be more connected to the goal of DEIB. So there you see there's a lot of them are kind of human resources related, but how kind of helping to create more connection to DEIB and, and what that relationship is, maybe a little more education around that. Um, and then there were, uh, there were some comments about not always asking kind of the, the same people to do things or to, for their feedback in relation to their diversity, but making sure that we're engaging um, as many employees as we can. So quickly, just next steps. We are obviously providing this update to the council. We're very interested in hearing your feedback tonight. Um, and then really we kind of move into more of an implementation phase. So some of the things uh, we've talked about is um, conducting a DEIB training for the city council potentially early next year or kind of first quarter next year, including members of the city's executive management team, and then starting to roll out a, a series of trainings for all staff. Um, we also really understand that we're focused more on the internal here and wanting to really make sure that we have a strong basis, but we really, we ultimately want to be providing more, um, you know, equitable and inclusive services to the community and so how we can really start to roll that out to our, the services we provide. Conduct ongoing employee engagement survey, so really checking in with employees to see how they're, how we're addressing these issues and what their sense of belonging is and morale and doing that on a regular basis. Um, and then obviously if there is funding requests that we, the council would we'd do that as part of budget requests and we didn't include that in as part of our budget uh, moving forward. So I think that's um, really it and we'd love to kind of open it up for questions and we're all here to, to hear your comments and questions. Great, and um, since City Manager Wildred, did you wanna add anything? We've no, got a minute and 46 seconds on that. <laughs> No, not at this time. I, I, I agree. There was a lot of work, and, and I was part of it, of, of done put into this plan by a huge cross-section of employees, so I'm I, I appreciative tell, of their work. I can tell that there is, and just a clarifying question from this for the city manager. Mm -hmm. So you had, uh, or there was, a 298 responses um, received. How many employees do we have in the city? It's 534. So. Pretty impressive. Okay. Sorry, total employees. 
total oh, employees. Oh, total employees. So yes. total, it's over a thousand. I don't know that the part time is up. Oh, yeah, Ms. Henry, help us. I don't know the exact number, but it was sent to folks that have a City of Alameda email address, which is just under 600. So it was 298 out of the 600 or so people that were invited. Thank you that clarification. Yeah, I mean, that's impressive. Okay, well, thank you so much to all the staff, both the, um, or all the presenters and then everyone else who contributed in whatever way and to all the department heads and staff who are here. And um, thank you so much for all you do. So, um, well, um, Madam Clerk, do we have public comment on this item? We do. Okay, so any clarifying questions before we go to public comment? I have a question, but I don't know if it's clarifying. <laughs> well, we, there's one way to find out. <laughs> What's your question, Councilmember? Um, for Councilmember, uh, for City Manager Ott, why was this, why was the um, DEIB um, bottom-up plan established rather than hiring um, a consultant or although a consultant was hired, hiring an, um, a manager, which other cities have done? Yeah, and I, obviously I wasn't here when all of the, these decisions were made, but I can tell you just having worked in other cities on these issues too, I think when you're, we did hire consultants on a seed collaborative, the council approved that contract. So we certainly had folks that were experts in this field supporting and helping the team, but when you, um, you know, when you're talking about culture change and you're talking about organizational culture, you know, it's really important you know, if it's something that I'm telling employees they have to do or um, making them do, you know, and there may be some of that, the, some of those requirements, I think, but to really engage employees and have this be an effort that's driven from, from employees and have that be grassroots and kind of advising and, and that way I'm learning, we're learning together and working together as a team. I think it's, it's been established that that's more effective. It doesn't mean that at some point, you know, we, once we're further along in our process, there might not be a, a a budget request at some future time um, related to staffing, but that's not something that's on the table right now. But I think right now we're really trying to train employees, build awareness, create some plans and, and um, next steps. Well, I appreciate that and thank you for the presentation. Having come from our, our um, neighboring city where a different process, having worked there for 20 years where a different process was, was established, um, I, this looks like it's been successful so far and I'm looking forward to hearing more. Okay, any other clarifying questions before we take our public comment? Let's hear public comment. Okay, and we only have three, so they'll get three minutes each. Okay. Um, the first is uh, Myrna Moreno. Welcome, Speaker Moreno. Hello. Hello, I'm gonna use the mic. Hello, my name is Myrna Moreno. I was born and raised in Alameda and have been employed with the city for the past 11 years. I've, ha I've had the opportunity to be part of the equity working group from the very beginning. I support the vision this group has been working hard on for the community and the city employees. I believe with the support of our city manager and council, the city is taking a very important first step in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you. Our, our next speaker. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi, again. And um, on this one, I do have a question about CEQA, because I don't think I saw what the CEQA determination was on the, uh, on the agenda materials, so I would like 
Somebody so this is, of course, public comment, not Q&A, so we'll um, hear your comments. Sure, and I, you, the council is allowed, and uh, Mr. Shen is allowed to respond as a clarifying question, right? So I can be told what the CEQA that's missing here is. Okay, so Mr. Shen, please make that available after I speak. Um, so I'm really glad this is employee-led, um, but it, the issue is I can't quite understand what the what the issues are exactly. I mean, I'm sure it's giving a shortened version of it uh, of what it is just for t for the uh, in the uh, interest of time. But um, there's some things that um, it's really an HR compliance problem most of it, and. Um, I think that maybe this is supposed to address it. I don't understand that it's a DEI thing necessarily, except for some of it. it, it mostly what I got about it is the employees didn't feel like there's a fair complaint process maybe, and so this is supposed to address that. But I'm just really unclear. I'd like to hear more about it. Um, employee empowerment, I think, is part of what this is, so that's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I do HR for my firm, so I'm concerned about employee privacy, especially with the complaint procedures. and. Uh, you know, the HR department probably knows that EEOC doesn't mind filing lawsuits on behalf of employees against their employers, and those, those lawsuits can be very expensive for uh, the city. So I would just like to see more privacy or privacy in these recommendations. I know it's in the draft phase, so, um, so that's really all I would say about it now, but I, I appreciate the fact that um, that they're uh, doing it with, within the the company itself. So thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker, Walker Walker Toma. Welcome, Speaker Toma. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Walker Toma. I'm a first-time public speaker. And I had the privilege and opportunity to work with the equity working group as well. Um, I very much support this effort, uh, which I believe was approached thoughtfully and pragmatically and uh, you know, look forward to seeing where it goes. I think this is a great first step and you know, urge your, your support, your continued support. So thank you. Thank you. And welcome for being a first time speaker. Um, I, can I next? That was, that was it. Okay, so with that, we will close public comment. And I'm just going to lead off and say, um, I just want to say a big thank you to all of the city staff. It, it really is an honor and a privilege to be the mayor. And I get a little opportunity to have kind of a window into a number of different departments. And I'm really proud of the city for undertaking this um, this endeavor and I look forward to um, the training for the City Council I would I would love to um, participate in that and I think we've got such a great organization to work with and I think it can only get better and the reason I say this and this is kind of unofficial anecdotal evidence but um, I had an opportunity to greet the employees at the holiday um, party last week, which was amazing. Um, City Hall was transformed into an island, a beach. It was beach balls all over the place. But just seeing, I don't know how many were there, but there were lots. And just seeing 300, 200. But just seeing everybody mingling and having fun, and there was great refreshments and things like that. And um, 
it just says something about that, that people enjoy being with each other. And then I, oh, and this is a great, I'm loving telling this story. Alan Ty has heard it too many times now. But um, did you know that at the planning counter where you come if you have a plan for a, a project to be approved, did you know that sometimes people come with projects from Oakland, city of Oakland, the city of Fremont, and the folks doing the plan check look at them and say, we're the city of Alameda. Why are you bringing your plan for XYZ city? We've heard that Alameda is so efficient and they treat the customers so well. And that is wonderful. We might not be as efficient if we start doing it for the whole county, um, and we are the city of Alameda. But I think that speaks volumes, that we take pride in the way we treat um, p the people we come in contact with. I was at the um, ceremony that the police department had this morning for some new recruits, and they recognized some of their staff, the dispatcher, records people. All of those folks, as I tell them, go into making this a safe community 24-7. So we want to attract wonderful, exceptional employees such as yourself, and then we want to retain you. We want you to stay here a long time because it just makes a better, stronger organization. So to the extent that we can learn and, and to come into the current times and learn what is it that we need to be doing more of, doing better. You know, we can always learn and we can always do better. Um, and uh, and then, oh, and on this past Sunday, I helped the Alameda Fire Department with their toy distribution, because you know they did the toys, Toys for Tots uh, toy drive. And it was just so amazing to see folks, even firefighters in between calls coming and helping. And these, the toys were pre-bagged for the families. And even some of their kids were there helping. And it was just this feel-good experience. It was kind of rainy and drizzly on Sunday. But just seeing the camaraderie among folks who were there when they didn't have to be because they wanted to do some good for the community and work with each other. So um, thank you so much, and I look forward to next steps. Who's next? Uh, Councilmember Vela. Um, you know, I think uh, achieving diversity um, to a certain extent is the easy part. And, and I say that because um, there are many things where we can be very diverse. But I, I think what's so important about this is the process, and the process necessarily um, requires hearing from our employees and actually having you all own the process um, and guide it. And so I'm, you know, very grateful to all of you uh, and to everybody who responded and, and uh, took the time to really participate in this um, in a meaningful way and will continue to participate in it because it will lead us to better outcomes overall and better working environments and conditions. And I think one of the recommendations was really about focusing on the sense of kind of belonging and really fostering that sense of pride and commitment um, to each other and, and collective commitment. And so, you know, this is about also transforming into healthier working environments. And I think that there's so much stress um, that's carried by so many of our public servants who include, and when I say public servants, I literally mean um, the, the hundreds of public servants that are employed by the city of Alameda because um, there's stress at so many different levels of the job and managing all of that and trying to do it in a way that's, that, that is also focused on inclusivity and belonging is so important. So just really um, grateful for the work that's been done and really looking forward to the continued efforts. Thank you. Next, um, commenters, Councilmember Herrera Spencer, go ahead. So first of all, I want to thank staff uh, for working on this. Um, I, 
I also want to, so when I read the report initially, it did not include in the definition race and religion, and that was added. I actually have a hard time understanding how uh, it can get to the point where it's being presented to the public and did not include race and religion under diversity in the definition. Um, I do appreciate it ha being added, but I honestly think that that indicates that we have a serious problem with uh, the way that this uh, was handled. Um, and I honestly, I don't, council had hired a consultant and if you look at the correspondence that was attached between myself and the city manager, at some point the city manager uh, made the decision to no longer work with uh, the consultant and that's why we have staff presenting today. I think that this is actually a very serious subject. I think it actually does require a consultant. As much as I wanna thank all of our employees, when I followed up on, for instance, you know, why didn't we have race and religion as part of our definition? Um, so as I, oh, okay, well, it was a mistake, and so we're gonna add it, and I'm just gonna keep going. But right now, um, there are other issues that I have in regards to this def these definitions. Uh, nationality, I, I think it's supposed to be something like national origin, not nationality. Um, and I would encourage all of you to actually look at this work. Um, disability status, other definitions uh, focus on abil abilities. They don't use the term disability status in the definition. Um, every, well, if there's four definitions that are provided, the other three, equity, inclusion, and belonging, all focus on the employees. None of them focus on the community members that use the services. I, I, I think that as a city, our, our policy has to um, support providing services, uh, applying the DEI um, a format to our services so that everyone that comes to our city and wants to obtain service, uh, regardless of their background, feels that they're being uh, treated respectfully. And I would have liked to have seen more focus on, there, there are actually 14 goals, only one of them mentions uh, 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 customer service. Uh, the other 13 are all focused on employees. There is also, a, so that was one of my concerns. Uh, and when you look at the background, the background is the Molly Watkins arrest. It's not uh, an issue regarding employees. It's actually an issue regarding uh, a member of our community uh, that uh, resulted in a serious event. That, and then the other one was a national event, again, George Floyd's death. And again, that is not uh, about an employee. That is about someone you know, that is interacting uh, uh, with uh, 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 police officers right, in their community. And so I think that this is, sadly, when I look at this, the background is on events in about community members interacting with people from the city, our city and other cities, um, and yet the focus is on employees. I think that this needs to be broader to include, I would actually have liked to have seen at least half of the goals focused on customer service and interactions with community members. Um, I, I think that that's absolutely critical. I am saddened when I looked at the, uh, some, a lot of the um, information was not included in the presentation. 
So I would encourage you all, it was added by the city manager after there were questions, um, I believe from council members, um, which I had quite a few. Um, the survey shows quite a bit of dissatisfaction and concerns from employees. And I think that those are very serious issues, but a lot of that is my opinion. It's not DEI, it's not DEIB, it's actually uh, management. Um, promotions, if you feel like you're being heard, if you feel like you can offer suggestions. There are questions like that where we have employees that shared that they don't feel like they can offer suggestions. <coughs> so I think that there's a lot here, but I don't think it's as much focused on what I would like in regards to actually providing how we interact with the community. That to me is honestly, if the background is in fact these events, that is where I think our focus needs to be for this policy. And I also think that when we're looking at DEIB, and I brought this up, B belonging is inclusion. And the definition should have, definitions are important on this type of work. Uh, I'm one of the three attorneys up here. <laughs> um, but definitions are important. Actually four attorneys, three council members and our city attorney. But the definition I believe under inclusion, um, but belonging is part of that. If you look at the, this work, and for those of you who don't know, I'm also a sociology major from Cal. I spent a lot, and I'm also the only Hispanic uh, council member I've ever served with in all of my, and I'm, I'm also the only Hispanic I've served with on the school board. My entire uh, 12 years as an elected official. I've never served with an African American. I've never served with a city manager that I believe is not white. Um, all this data in regards to what does management look like? What does our community look like? What is all of our, um, and I, when, I, when I heard the mayor ask about the total number of employees, the answer was full-time employees. We have a lot of part-time employees. In fact, I think it's almost the same number. And I think our part-time employees are an important part of our employees, and the answer, in my opinion, needed to include our part-time employees. When there were only 300 or approximately 300 employees that responded, and yet we have over 1,000 employees, including our part-time employees, I think we need to do more work. Um, so I think that this, we have a long ways to go, but I do not support DEIB. I want DEIA. The research shows accessibility is actually the number one reason that people file labor complaints. It's also the issue that gets left behind. When you look at this report, there is one question about disability. There is no discussion about it. Do, whether our employees feel that if their needs are being met, if they have accessibility issues, um, there's no discussion. There's no discussion in regards to how do we serve people that have accessibility issues. And this matters because, and I've shared with staff over the last couple years on this, DEIA was introduced by President Biden as an executive order. And his comments in that order go to accessibility is the issue that is left behind. Um, it is, in fact, very unusual that race and religion are left behind. So that was like honestly shocking to me. 
Um, but I think there's a lot of work to be done. I think that this, um, I think that this city definitely needs a consultant to do this work. I don't think this uh, measures up to what uh, this type of work demands. If you look at the statistics of what our community looks like, are they reflected here? The reality is no. We must cast a broader net. We must make sure that everyone that comes needs our services. That's why people interact with the city. They need services. We have to focus on meeting their needs. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyone else would like to speak? Well, uh, thank Vice Mayor Desai. Yes, uh, just quickly, I just want to say thank you very much to um, our city manager, um, as well as the staff who had managed this process and all the staff who have participated in this process, whether as survey respondents or through um, different um, um, venues. Um, this is important work, and so um, I appreciate um, you know, what was presented tonight. And I think, you know, I certainly look forward to the next steps that are outlined here. I think there are some hard questions and issues that are raised by different council members tonight that I'm sure the um, city staff will, will, will take a look at um, in an effort to, you know, improve um, uh, the, what we have before us even more. I mean, it's a great start and, and you know, um, taking the input of the public as well as the council members, I think, could go a long way in helping to, um, to strengthen this even more. But I just want to say thank you very much to our staff because it, it's a great start. Um, and I appreciate um, the, the next steps um, as they unfold in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. I'm Council Member Jensen. Thank you. I, I'm, also, I'm very appreciative of this project and the work being done by staff. I want to take this opportunity to focus on the inclusion work being done and um, just reflect back to my time on the school board. Where um, I, I, I want to say that I appreciate staff's work being proactive. I appreciate the different working groups, the different, the different ideals that are being discussed and the different outcomes, the, the attention to the outcomes and the, the, the obtaining of, of information from all of your colleagues and staff. And I, I'll, I'll think back, this does remind me very much of uh, my time on the Alameda Unified School District Board of Education when it, it happened that inclusion was not being addressed or supported by the school district. And um, this came to light when students were sharing information, students, teachers, parents were sharing information about how uncomfortable and unincluded they felt because of their sexual orientation. And during this time in Alameda Unified School District, I worked with my colleagues to develop what was then called Lesson 9, which was the first elementary school curricula to share with, with young kids about different types of families, whether they be older parents, grandparents, or gay parents, or um, non-conforming parents, whatever it might be, single parents, but just to share that everyone was safe and everyone was welcome and that we would have these types of people and, and we should value everyone. And I think it took a long time. The community was not entirely supportive. I could say that with a straight face. A lot of community members needed to be have more information about why this was important. But it was important. And the, the group that was not 
scared at all by this was our students in our school district. All of our students were supportive. There was not, there's very, very little opposition by, from teachers, students, administrators in the school district, and parents. Some, some parents were, had some concerns, but the support came from the grassroots. And I can just, I share this because I think that what staff is doing is really going to make a meaningful change and meaningful policy rather than having a consultant come in or um, hiring a DEIA or DEIB or DEI administrator to, to tell staff and management what to do and how to enact change. So thank you very much. This is, this is tremendous and I'd really be happy to work more closely with, with everyone on this, this important project. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Harris Benson. I just want clarification. One of these goals is to hire. Uh... You know, I'm happy to clarify. I think we, you know, we worked with Seed Collaborative. They did help support staff. They conducted the survey, listening sessions. We valued the work they did. They facilitated the different working groups. So we were very appreciative of their work. I think moving into implementation phase, we are looking to ha bring in different support from another um, consulting company. Um, they would help us. They've already done some trainings for um, Alameda Municipal Power and for the executive management team. We're looking at retaining them to do some of the training made for the council. Um, and then we would be bringing a contract back to council um, for them to roll out citywide trainings. And they're called Circle Up Education is who we're looking at working with. Um, and so we, we definitely, we just think moving into implementation phase, we're just switching gears using a different company. Um, but we do, despite that, I mean, despite having a consultant, they're really there to help support staff. They're there to be, to bring some of the different thoughts and sources and expertise on this, but they're really trying to help staff kind of lead this effort um, and help me support staff. So um, I do want to clarify, we will, we will have you know, folks that specialize in this helping us along the way. Thank you, City Manager. And, and I will say, you know, we, we hear different opinions, but I think for the most part, um, the council is very supportive of this staff-led effort. And I think just the process itself, from what I could glean from reading the, the report, it gave people a chance to work together to interact and across all these different departments. And that's something that you could work in an organization and just be so busy that you never leave, you know, your your part of City Hall. So I really like that. And I, you know, I think we've got a lot of people power and as Harness said, I mean, a lot of things, you know, we can just keep making it better. But my goodness, what an impressive effort this far and a lot of time and and, and I applaud us. I don't think just every city would, would even take this on. So, um, you know, Alameda has a very good reputation in the Bay Area, and it's, it's initiatives just like this that keep adding to it. I like the creativity that I see. So, well, with that, again, thank you so much. And staff, as we come to the end of the year, um, and I said this at the holiday party, but for any of you who weren't there, Hope you get some well-needed time off R&R. Enjoy with your friends and family. Get outside, get some fresh air, have new experiences, and come back rested and refreshed in 2024. But we appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much. Now, um, we have another item coming up. However, those of you who have attended city council meetings know I have a um, two-hour limit on um, before we get up and take a break, and that's not my limit. It's some psychiatrists at UCSF who taught me that during COVID. So we're going to, it is 9.16. Let's all be back in our seats ready to go at 9.15.
uh, 9.30, because this next item, they've been waiting for a while, and we are going to get to you 9.30 sharp. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you then.
<laughs> Could everyone please be seated? Hello. Okay, places everyone. We have kept the good people on this next item waiting a long time. All right, so we are um, back in session. Is James up there and ready for us? Yes, sir. Going. There's James. I was I worried about you. Go. Okay. <laughs> Madam Clerk, would you please introduce our next item? Uh, if I could have everyone's public, attention. Yes. Public hearing to consider adoption of resolution moving a 12-month exclusive negotiation agreement with Little Opera House, Inc., doing business as Radium for the development of a 2.13-acre property on Pan Am Way at Alameda Point for a Performing Arts Center and introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a 12-month license for the temporary use of the property for performing arts and special events. Uh, this item requires four affirmative votes. The streamlining provision of the public resources section 21083.3 and section 15183 of the California Environmental Quality Act guidelines apply and no further environmental review is required. Welcome. Good evening, Mayor I believe you're Mr. Thomas, is that correct? <laughs> Vice Mayor Gay Sock, members of the council. Um, I'm really pleased to be here for my final recommendation to city council to be recommending an exclusive negotiating agreement. Oh, let me just, just uh, preface by saying I'm going to, staff presentation is going to have two parts. I'm going to do the first half, and then I'm going to turn it over to Chris Seiwald, who, who is the sort of the project applicant, who's going to take the second five minutes. So I'm going to run through the first part five minutes quickly. And you can always come back to visit, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're here tonight, uh, we're recommending an exclusive negotiating agreement and a license for the, at Alameda Point for the Radium Project. Um, both these two separate agreements, they both apply to the same piece of land, which is shown on the drawing on the left. It's a, a two-acre parcel um, located right off of Pan Am Way in front of the Waterfront Park, the NAS Museum. Palladium Sports Center and the Site A Residential. So that sort of um, exciting location right on the waterfront. Um, and the picture on the right shows the relationship of the uh, current operation Radium presents in front of the museum on the site. Oh, come on. Next. Ah, help. Whoa, too fast. <laughs> oh. Okay, that was good. All right, 21 years, still don't know how to do this. All right, um, to date. Uh, this is not, this is, um, we've been working on this for a little while. And to, in 2022, the council amended or approved an amendment to the Site A development plan. Um, and that development plan designated this site for performing arts, um, community event type uses. Um, so then shortly thereafter, uh, the base reuse team uh, issued an RFP uh, for potential operators, developers for this um, site. Uh, Radium Presents responded, um, and uh, they were the only proposal. And so what we have been doing since then is drafting this exclusive negotiating agreement and draft lease uh, with them. Prior in 2023 or 2022, we also approved a temporary license for the site. So that's why those containers are out there today with the events. Um, the license being proposed tonight would replace that license. Um, going forward, what this sets up is a next year of work with, between the city staff and the applicants um, to develop a site plan for the project, architectural designs, and of course, a real estate um, uh, deal, essentially a long-term lease with purchase option. Um, so the council will be involved in that process over this next year before any final decisions are made. 
There will be, of course, some interesting um, design uh, steps that will have to take place. So designing this project on this location, there are view corridors that are designated in and around the site. Uh, the drawing on the left is from your waterfront specific town center plan. Um, the uh, illustration on the right is um, sort of shows how it affects this particular piece of property. Most important view corridor running across the, the front of the site, east to west, uh, that should be protected. A secondary view corridor running east to west, which will be between the museum and the, and the future Performing Arts Center. And then an interesting view corridor, which is from the um, lobby, the old Pan Am lobby, um, out to the water, which is uh, designated in our specific plan. So that's from a second story lobby through the site. Um, so these are all issues, they're relevant issues to this project, but they're issues to be worked through over the next year if you approve the exclusive negotiating agreement. Um, so two separate agreements, both for 12 months, both have the ability of the city manager to extend for another six months with two three-year uh, extensions, but after 18 months they, they end. Um, the license they, allows them to continue their uh, temporary events at the um, in the container circle, um, which brings people out to the site and establishes this site as a, as a performing arts location. And then the ENA is essentially an agreement to ex exclusively negotiate with Little Opera House, which is Radium Presents, uh, to prepare a draft long-term license and lease um, uh, and with potential purchase option for the council's consideration at the end of the 12-month period. During the 12-month period, there will be work with the planning board, the historic advisory board, looking at designs. At month nine, you, they will be back here at the city council um, to, with staff to discuss the draft terms for that long-term agreement. So there'll be an early look at the key terms where the council can weigh in before they come back at month 12. Um, so our recommendation is that you hold your public hearing adopt the resolution approving the 12-month ENA and also uh, introduce an ordinance authorizing a 12-month plus extension license for the temporary use. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Mr. Chris, uh, Chris Seiwald, who can tell you a little bit more about their vision for this site. Thank you, and welcome, Mr. Seiwald. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for the time, because I can talk fast, but not as fast as our city clerk. So, uh, <laughs> no one can. Madam Mayor, Council, thank you. Uh, my name is Christopher Sarwald. I uh, am a, a relatively recently addition to Alameda. I've been here about 30 years, uh -huh. uh, short for some of you. Uh, in my time here, I've raised a family, uh, owned a cafe, and ran a software company for 21 years. Uh, in the afterlife, I've been the, 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 the first mover on this project, a nonprofit effort to build a performing arts center in Alameda. Um, the three things that go into a, 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 performing, a great performing arts center is a, a great location and a great facility and a great purpose. And I just want to start off by thanking you for the, even considering uh, offering uh, this, this, this great location for this purpose. Um, this site has to be one of the best pieces of real estate in Alameda, there on the corner of the Seaplane Lagoon. Alameda, as you know, is obviously one of the best cities in the San Francisco Bay Area, and the San Francisco Bay Area really is second to none in terms of metropolitan areas in the, in, in the world, and it is really a, a, great, a great opportunity. Um, a great site like this deserves nothing, be, uh, nothing less uh, than a great facility, uh, and not something that's simply open in the evenings for, for stuffy people to show up in their stuffy clothing, um, but a really living, breathing uh, uh, cultural hub. And uh, in addition to having like a 500 seat 
uh, performance hall. Uh, we also expect to have uh, a second space and lobby and plaza for rehearsals, for community events, for, for, for meetings. We want to have bits of gallery and museum and library and a, and a restaurant and a cafe and a bar so that the place is a whole destination, so that people will find a reason to be there. We want it to be a jewel inside Alameda and in, and in the Bay. Uh, this is Alameda, so just to mention that for traffic and parking, uh, we expect at peak to have about 1 20th of the number of people who show up for Michonne's auctions by the Bay. Um, we have others who will sort of speak about uh, the benefits of having a performing arts center, um, but, I just, but uh, there are things like the fact that it, it serves as a catalyst for economic development. Uh, as performing arts centers do, um, not just uh, not just people coming from off the island to 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 spend their money here, but also for Alamedans to go to a world class destination and spend their money without having to leave the island. Um, it provides a center for education for for the for the arts, and it builds a, a sense of community, another place where Alamedans can run into other Alamedans. It also bridges people, and uh, there's been a lot of mention of uh, diversity and equity. Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and I will say that Alameda is very strong on that, uh, but it's also uniquely positioned really to bridge peoples, both, both figuratively, figuratively and literally. Um, when people get together and engage in the arts, they're engaging with other people, and it's very good when people meet over a shared appreciation of the arts uh, rather than those other things that tend to divide us. Um, a lot of this uh, comes um, just will come uh, with a with with a performing arts center. All the all these goodnesses, um, but we're approaching it from a very simple angle, uh, which is uh, art for art's sake. Um, performing arts uh, centers are, are are engines like a dynamo or, or a wheel off which all these good things come more or less on their own, um, and they, they they come from the the act of the performing arts itself. And we want our performing arts center not to be like a TV or a movie theater where people go, experience something, and leave without anything. Uh, people, people will come to the theater for many reasons. So they may want to just hang out in the cafe or, or go upstairs and see the views. Uh, they may want to see the Alameda Nutcracker, actually in Alameda again, or an Ensignal High School play, not in the cafeteria. Uh, they may want to see the West Edge Opera uh, come and perform in Alameda or bits of the San Francisco Opera. Or it may be a touring performer uh, that's internationally known, coming to Alameda to, to, to workshop new, new ideas. There's a lot of reasons people would want to come, but our mission is that when they leave the theater, that people think that they can be part of the performing arts and that we want to give them the means to do so. We want to be part of this educational process. We want today's artists to cue tomorrow's artists. Um, we think that we can make the performing arts a really self-driving engine of future creativity. Um, and we believe that this great theater in a great location in this great city could serve that great purpose. Thank you so much, and your time is up. All right, no, remember, we're not in the theater yet. Okay, so um, thank you so much. And so at this point, um, we will entertain any clarifying questions from the council, and then we'll go to any public comments that we have. Do we have any clarifying questions, Councilmember Harris Spencer? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, uh, thank you, Director Thomas. Are you still director? Uh, oh, no, you're not, right? Former Director Thomas. Um, and thank you, Mr. Seiwald, uh, for your comments. So um, one of the concerns that I've had has been the placement of the con uh, containers out there. And uh, which we've discussed, um, can you share like what the plan is in regards to the containers moving forward? 
those containers are like Legos and they will move to make you happy. Thank you. Um, and then my second. Any uh, other questions? All right. Then um, my second uh, question was: I, I heard um, from former Director Thomas that, in regards to the view corridor that comes from uh, the the Naval Air Museum, the second floor. Can you describe what what that means, and why that is uh, would be part of this project? <laughs> Yes, um, so the Naval Air Station is, as you know, a historic district. Um, what that means is it's a grouping of buildings um, that, um, that, that make that a unique place. Um, one of the character-defining features is this, um, these various buildings, one of which is Building 77, which used to be um, essentially the terminal um, for the, um, the very first um, uh, air commercial um, airplane services across the Pacific. What am I trying the, to say? The Clipper. <laughs> and on the second floor, so that building is interesting and important historically for that purpose, but one of the, that view corridor is about the, um, the uh, passenger lounge, which is up on the second floor, which had this great view out over the runways and out over the water. So that's, that's identified as one of the interesting character-defining features. And that's why in that diagram from the specific plan that I showed with all the arrows, mm -hmm. um, it was identified in our locally adopted specific plan as an important view corridor um, to try to maintain. So in regards to adding this building then, um, how, how will that be uh, supported? So we're gonna be, so if, if the council approves the ENA, it's essentially kicking off a, um, what we hope will be less than a year, but at maximum a year-long process of designing a building that meets all the city regulations, is compatible with the historic district. There will be a trip to the historic advisory board for their input on those designs. There will be um, input from the planning board and the community on those designs. The council will get an update at month nine, not just on the design process and how that's going, um, but also on the financial terms, because the idea here is that the council needs, the whole community and the council needs to be involved in this conversation um, all the way through the process. So at month nine, the council will also get an update on the design process. Um, and at the end of the day, it's gonna be, um, you'll have a recommendation from your historic advisory board as to whether they have done a good job designing the project and have preserved those character-defining features. You'll have a recommendation from your planning board. And at the end of the day, just like on every major important decision in Alameda Point, it will be the five of you who decides whether you want to proceed with this project after a year of work between staff and the applicant. And you'll, you'll make that important decision at that point. This is really just kicking off um, this, this period of, of work to see if we can make something happen. You'll decide if it's worth pursuing in a year. Thank you very much. Any other clarifying questions before we go to our public speakers? Okay, let's hear from the public. Madam Clerk. Okay, um, I'll call a few. Up, up first is Rachel Lee, Shelby Sheehan, then Tina Blaine with Rachel up first. Good evening and welcome. 
As board president of Alameda Civic Ballet, I wanted to show our support for the Radium Theater plans by highlighting the benefits for the community and ACB. A theater will contribute to the cultural richness of our community, providing a space for diverse artistic expressions, including plays, musical, dance performances, and more. Exposure to the arts enhances the quality of life for residents, fostering a sense of community identity and pride. Construction of a theater will stimulate the local economy, creating jobs in construction, ongoing operations, and supporting local businesses such as restaurants, hotels, and shops. A theater is an educational hub for workshops, seminars, and programs that engage community. It offers a platform for schools, theater art groups, and colleges to showcase their performing arts programs, nurturing local creativity and talent. The theater is a gathering place for community events, forums, and discussions, fostering a sense of unity and civic engagement. Engaging community members in cultural activities helps bridge generational and cultural gaps, creating a cohesive and connected community. Increased cultural tourism leads to additional revenue for the city through ticket sales, concessions, and associated spending. Cultural amenities positively impact property values in surrounding neighborhoods, making it an attractive investment for residents and potential homeowners. A local theater complex ensures the arts are easily accessible to all Alameda residents, promoting inclusivity and equal opportunity for cultural experiences. For ACB, since the closing of Kaufman Auditorium in 2016, the arts community at large and ACB specifically have been without a performance space. The ACB mission is to bring high quality productions to the community to offer our students the training to perform alongside professional dancers and to bring diversity to the stage while creating job opportunities for Bay Area dancers. ACB has survived for 20 years as a nonprofit arts organization. We have survived the closure of Kaufman, AB5, and COVID. For us, Radium would reopen the opportunity to foster community outreach and development and allow our mission to once again thrive and bring ballet back home. But we need your support. I sincerely hope you will vote to approve this project so we can celebrate the Aaron, arts in Alameda. time is up. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi again. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the uh, faulty CEQA determination. And prior to the meeting, I requested that the city attorney provide information to the public regarding the CEQA finding. I'm, I'm requesting it again. It's vital to know before this, um, any part of this project is approved. Uh, per the Sunshine Ordinance, he may respond to statements or questions posed by persons exercising their public testimony rights to the extent that they're asking for factual information. Um, it's a legal question that only Mr. Shen is qualified to answer. So if he stays silent and the city has someone else answer my question, instead of Mr. Shen, like Andrew Thomas, it is evidence uh, that uh, Mr. Shen knows that his answer may violate his ethical obligations if he doesn't say the correct legal answer. And it will be considered a deliberate attempt to further deceive the public and avoid accountability. Council should require Attorney Shen to provide his legal determination regarding secret compliance. If you don't, it just shows you're, that I am correct. Additionally, statements made by staff after this shall be considered unsubstantiated claims unless they read verbatim from a publicly available regulatory document. As you have just proved, their statements cannot be trusted. So as I said, according to CEQA and the Alameda Municipal Codes, all projects in the historic district must undergo further review. Um, the city themselves commissioned a report that had already evaluated the guidelines for new development on the taxiway area in front of the Alameda Museum uh, within the 2016 Verplank report for Block 11. So they absolutely know how to do it properly and what the impacts are. 
It is important to understand that the images from the conceptual plan were done before the historical preservation evaluation was conducted and does not constitute an approval for any individual project. The restrictions for the taxiway are described in full in the 2016 report, including, um, and the uh, impacts should not uh, uh, include those to the spatial organization. And your time is up. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Tina Blaine, then Jennifer Radakovich, then Adam Gillett. All right, welcome, Speaker Blaine. Madam Mayor and members of City Council, uh, my name is Tina Blaine. I'm the former director of Rhythmics Cultural Works, and I have known Chris Seiwald and been talking to him about this project for many, many years. I am here because I fully support this project, and I think that the city of Alameda is incredibly lucky to have someone championing, wanting to bring a performing arts center to our beautiful island and such a gorgeous location. And now that we have Seaplane Lagoon here and transportation going back and forth to the city as well, I think it's providing a wonderful opportunity for Alameda to really burnish its reputation even further as a place that's very supportive of the arts. Um, I also just wanted to say that I feel like the placemaking events that have been happening out at Seaplane Lagoon and at Radium Runway have been really eye-opening for me as someone who's been producing events for many, many years. I think they've done a tremendous job of making a there there and when there's just a few containers in the space and bringing people out from all over the Bay Area, not just here in Alameda, but having tremendous turnouts of the community and already really starting to create that feeling of, of an arts community and, and laying the foundations with real goodwill and um, inspiration towards the hope of creating a, a state-of-the-art facility that will be used by the entire community. So just here to voice my support for the project. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Jennifer Radikovich. Ms. Radkovich, welcome. Hello, my name is Jennifer Radkovich. I'm the current executive director of Rhythmics Cultural Works, uh, which is Alameda's first multicultural performing arts center. Uh, we've been serving the community for over 16 years with free and affordable programs that reflect and honor the diversity of the Bay Area. We're so proud and excited to be in City Council today speaking in support of Chris Seiwald and the Radium Theater Project. Chris has been a tremendous supporter of the arts in Alameda over the years, and we fully support his endeavor to bring a 500-seat theater um, to Alameda Point. Uh, over the years, we've witnessed Alameda's appetite for the arts grow tremendously and have seen many new arts organizations flourish. We recognize the need for a larger venue to help accommodate Alameda's burgeoning art scene. Rhythmics has already undertaken several collaborative projects with Radium and Western Arts District, among other arts organizations um, locally. And we look forward to the new opportunities that Radium Runway and the Radium Theater will bring. Uh, we're currently in active discussions with Radium, finding ways to work together to present our organization's signature arts education program, Performance Art and Learning, PAL, and other concerts at Radium's new theater to better serve the community. 
So we support Radium's vision as well as the belief that an innovative project of this magnitude would have a significant impact on the local community's access to the arts and the reinvention of Alameda Point. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Adam Gillett. Welcome, Speaker Gillett. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Uh, I'm Adam Gillett. I am the Chair of the Public Art Commission, and uh, it's been so exciting to hear and, and watch the development of Radium as a project revitalizing what's been going on at Alameda Point. Uh, the events that they've staged so far have been so well received by the community and provided such a range of interesting arts programming that we haven't seen in the city before that uh, I'm just incredibly optimistic and excited about what a full facility can bring in the future, but I'm certainly excited to see what uh, future seasons of Radium Runway will bring us. And uh, as a destination, uh, it couldn't be a better location. Being so close to the ferry, being in a place where there's plenty of parking, it's just a new neighborhood that I know the city is working hard to revitalize and uh, to make a focal point. And having a draw like an arts center, which is something Alameda has never had, certainly not on this magnitude, would make such a difference both to just making the uh, Alameda Point a neighborhood destination, but also making Alameda an arts destination and making us a place that really values what arts brings to the community and what the community could do to support the arts. So I hope you will support this proposal and thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. I'm going to go to the remote speakers, uh, Madeline Sadek. Welcome, Speaker Sadek. Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council Members, and City Staff. Madeline Sadek, President and CEO of Alameda Chamber and Economic Alliance. We are in full support of this well-needed art performing center on the island. The center will stand as a powerful symbol for Alameda's dedication to the arts. It will become a hub for creativity and artistic expressions and will serve as a cultural anchor for Alameda Point, complementing the nearby wineries, breweries, distilleries, and the restaurants. And it will also serve, it will also have a great impact on Alameda businesses and it will attract more businesses to the island. And as Chris Sywell said, it, this is a catalyst for economic development. We all need it here. Thank you so much. Have a happy holidays and a successful start to 2024. Thank you. Our next speaker, Doug Biggs. Welcome, Speaker Biggs. Good evening, Madam Mayor. My name is Doug Biggs. I'm the Executive Director of the Alameda Point Collaborative, and I'm just speaking to strongly encourage you to enter into this ENA for the Radium Project. Um, no community is complete without the arts. No community can thrive without the arts, and uh, Alameda Point deserves to thrive, and the arts deserve to thrive out at Alameda Point. Uh, we've seen an enticing glimpse of what the possibilities are with the early placemaking that's gone on out there with the Radiant Runway. And the performances have been exciting, they've been eclectic, and they've also been accessible. From day one, the, the Radiant Project has opened their doors to our residents and many have gone to these performances and have, been enjoy, and have enjoyed them and have been um, captivated by this. We've been in talks about opportunities that would become available through this project, and it's very exciting. Uh, Radium has also opened the doors to their their, uh, their placemaking space out on the runways for uh, meetings we've held, workshops we've held with residents, and it's been a great way, great place to gather. So we wanna see a lot more of that and we wanna see a permanent facility out there. So please uh, enter into the ENA with Radium. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Cam Bowie. Welcome Speaker Bowie. 
Hello again. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi. Hi again. Um, Kambui, uh, thanks to everyone who's worked on this project. We've lost so many third spaces for people to gather in community. It would be lovely to see it return or see them all return. Um, art centers provide a space for our neighbors to explore their humanity through art, whether they're artists or viewers enjoying a lovely local night out. And community spaces like this would also be a chance to pass on the history and culture and share the values of Alameda. I urge City Council to commit to redirecting any funds sent to apartheid Israel in order to fund this public service and art center. Thank you. Thank you, our next speaker. Um, I will go back to in-person. Um, Liz Rush, followed by Colin Blake and Mark Farrell. Another Public Art Commission member. Welcome, Speaker Rush. I, we do, by the way, have amazing board and commission members in Alameda. Here's one now. I'm, I'm so happy to be here to support this project. The Radium Project is a much-needed um, the performance center for our city. It is, um, sorry, I'm trying to read this. Uh, it's an exciting addition to the arts in our city and much needed. It'll be another jewel in the crown of the public arts in Alameda. So I hope you will support it and help this move forward. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Colin Blake. Welcome, Speaker Blake. Good evening, Mayor, Council. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I'm just here to support Radium any way I can. Uh, my name's Colin Blake. I'm a real estate agent uh, with Berkshire Hathaway here in Alameda. I also live here. Um, and so a huge part of my job, as you might imagine, is determining property value. Um, and I, I just wanted to speak to that a little bit because I, I know that as people who work for and with the city of Alameda, you're in charge of you know, social services and education and parks and public safety and all the things that make this such a desirable place to live. But I really wanted to speak to the arts and community as being just as important. Uh, and I, I do believe Radium represents a fantastic opportunity to uh, lean into that and to grow. Because I think I see a lot of opportunity for growth that other speakers have mentioned before me tonight uh, when it comes to the arts. Um, yeah, just like the, uh, you may have noticed if you look at listings, uh, as much as I do, that anything within a mile, maybe more, of downtown Alameda and the Alameda Theater will definitely include a photograph of that marquee and include language in the listing to speak to that. It's because it's an icon. It's a gathering point, as other speakers have mentioned. And I think the West End has an opportunity for that here, and it's, it's a very unique opportunity. So uh, I, urge, I urge you to vote in favor. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Mark Farrell. Welcome, Speaker Farrell. Good evening, Madam Mayor and Council Members. My name is Mark Farrell. I'm the president of Anchor Alameda Association for Art and Film, whose mission is to foster and develop artistic projects in the city of Alameda and facilitate affordable public access to new visual, performing, literary, and cinematic art and culture. Our biggest projects are the Alameda International Film Festival coming this February 2024, and Backstory, a six-part film and speaker series made possible through funding from the Alameda Public Art Commission in 2022. For the past two seasons, Radium Runway has increasingly become a destination for people in and beyond Alameda. A permanent performing arts center structure would allow this spot to become a year-round attraction for people throughout the Bay Area, ensuring that the base develops in a way that encourages a thriving economy 
increases public safety, and creates a sense of well-being and of belonging. According to a study from the US Department of Justice, art and performances are effective ways to prevent or reduce crime because they reach a wider audience. And another report from the University of Pennsylvania showed that arts and culture improve the health, safety, and well-being in New York's less prosperous neighborhoods. Now, I don't doubt that everyone here tonight agrees that the arts are important for the community of Alameda. But you cannot have art without a place to do it in. And currently, there's a dearth of spaces available in the city of Alameda. As a producer of live performance events, we often cannot reach a large audience because we're limited by capacity. And we know that we have lost the opportunity to feature some amazing talent to perform on the island because of the lack of a larger, more professional space. That's why I'm here tonight to ask that you approve a 12-month exclusive negotiating agreement with Radium for the development of a performing arts center. Thank you, and happy holidays. Thank you. Our next speaker? Uh, that was our last speaker. Okay, with that, I will close public comment and I will open the, um, the floor to um, uh, council comments and hopefully a motion to adopt this resolution and also to um, approve the, the license, um, the ordinance uh, authorizing a 12-month license. So, who wants to start? I'm gonna look to this end of the dais. Councilmember Jensen, why don't we just go down the line? Start with you. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you for the presentation. Just thank you to um, Radium Runway, especially. It's in the past uh, two years or so, it's just since starting, actually. I, I mean, I have to give you credit, too, for starting these performances during the pandemic when people needed to be outside, but there's little space to go see performances here in Alameda. And having started that um, on the runway there, it, it really got people out. I saw families often, and a lot of families would be out there, especially with the, there was a circus out there, I believe, last year, and there have been um, some um, performances from the um, San Francisco Opera, just great performances. And these are things that we need in Alameda that we want to get kids and families and adults, of course, out to see. And um, even the most recent event, I attended the Fiesta Alameda, that as Doug Biggs mentioned, we had I found out there that there were Alameda Point vendors, including Building 43 Winery, serving their local, their Alameda Point wine from their tasting room there, and along with, with other craftspersons from Alameda and from even from Alameda Point. So this this resource is is tremendous, as I said. It's it's something that, that Alameda has been building towards for a long time, and I'm in, enthusiastic and, and entirely supportive and I will be happy to make a motion. Go ahead. To approve. All right, we've got a motion. Um, and it's been seconded by council. Motion made by Councilmember Jensen, seconded by um, Councilmember Vela, Vice Mayor Desog, we go to you next. Oh, just briefly, just want to say how exciting this project is. Look forward to, um, look forward to the next several months as you, uh, you know, do your negotiations. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, Councilmember Jensen said it best. So um, yeah, let's move ahead. All right. Um, I am going to go last as mayor, but I'll go on to Councilmember Vela next. I look forward to seeing this project move forward, and uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I want to uh, speak to the CEQA determination. Um, I know that there's a sentence in here that uh, says that it can be streamlined. Uh, can, so, can someone from staff address uh, 
and in fact, I'll go to the city attorney. I'm not sure if it's who, who is the appropriate person uh, to address the city's requirements for CEQA and um, how we're meeting that. I, I will, Andrew Thomas, I'll, I'll address your question. Um, the city of Alameda has done a CEQA review for the redevelopment of Alameda Point. Uh, we have completed that review. It's called the Alameda Point EIR. We then updated that review when, when we adopted the um, CEQA determination for the general plan update, which was approved in 2022. In that update, the CEQA review for, Alameda, for the general plan and specifically for Alameda Point anticipated, um, well, ultimately 9,000 more jobs at Alameda Point and and um, 1,500 more housing units just in the next 10 years. So we have done CEQA for that number of jobs, that number of trips, that number of housing units. What the CEQA determination in the staff report is saying is, yes, we have looked at this. And under CEQA, and so we know what the environmental effects of doing this kind of work are, um, for this kind of development. Two points. One, this is an exclusive negotiating agreement. It's just an agreement to talk and draft documents. Draft plans, draft documents, dra draft uh, conveyance documents. It does not result in the construction of anything. If you approve those documents at the end of the year, that is the action that results in physical change you will need to make another CEQA determination at that point. What we did in the staff report, we could have just said, oh, we're just drafting documents, so no impacts. But what we did in the staff report is we wanted to let people know ahead of time, hey, if you're interested about in CEQA impacts, we're telling you right now, this are the documents we've already done, these are the documents that we think will be relevant a year from now, so start studying them now if you're concerned about those issues. But the council, before you adopt that final document in 12 months, the final design of the building, the final uh, 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 lease to move forward with the project, if you approve it, that's when you'll make your final CEQA determination about this specific project. And you can't make that final determination tonight anyway because you don't know what the project looks like yet. All right, so let me ask the city attorney, do you agree with that response? I do, Councilmember. Thank you. Okay, then my next question is uh, parking. Uh, how does that fit in with CEQA, uh, does it? Uh, and what, where will the parking be for this facility? Um, that will be part of the design process. Um, they, they are, the, the design team, that is something that they're gonna be very interested in because there probably will be people coming by cars. Um, uh, there is an overall parking plan for Alameda Point, so it'll all be in the design process that occurs over the next year to have those conversations, figure out wh wh how much parking should be on site, how much should be in off-site locations at Alameda Point, um, but that will be absolutely a, an important part of the design process. And the, and, the, and the entire design process is a public process, so the community will be involved in that. Okay, so my understanding is that the parking would not be within the square red tri uh, rectangle that is, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, City Clerk, could you pull up the presentation? And I think it's on the second page. 
It has a red rectangle. That's the, that is the that is the the it's the it's the land that these two documents refer to that we'd be planning on. Um, that that may that may prove to be true, but we don't know at this point because we haven't actually designed it and figured out where the best place to put parking is. All right, and um, so I appreciate that. Um, however, we have parking for the ferry nearby, right? Is we that, do. Is that possible that that could? Yeah. Um, I think that's exactly where this conversation will end up going, is looking at the public parking lots that are already either in existence or are planned. So the ferry terminal is one. Your public works department is just about to embark on an improvement of the public parking lot right behind City Hall West, which is only two blocks from this location. There's also in your transportation demand management plan for Alameda Point, um, a site designated for public parking for the park and all these uses, which is just to the west of this site. Um, so, you know, as Alameda Point develops out with each, all these new developments, um, the question of where best to accommodate parking is going to be one of those um, questions that you'll address with each project. Thank you. And when I look at this uh, red rectangle, right, where do you think and it might be premature. Where do you anticipate that this build, the building, would be? Actually, first I want to go to why is it this red rectangle and not farther to the west? It, well, because in the site A development plan, we designated this rectangle as the place where we wanted to do a performing arts center. That being said, let's say you start having the conversations over the next year and you decide when you really get into the work, wait, no, it would actually would work better if we slid it you know, over and didn't do it in the red triangle. There's nothing to prevent you as a city council to say, yeah, we like that idea. Let's change it. The red place is not the right place to do it. Let's do it a little bit further to the west. You don't know yet um, where the best place is to put it, but this is the land that we designated in 2022 for a performing arts center. All right, and does that align with the view corridor in that same spot? I know, but there's multiple pages that yeah, show different you, things, so I wasn't mind, sure. Ashley, just real quickly going to the other, oh, I guess I can do it. Where was that draft slide with the, all right, so if you look on the right, and you can see the radium circle, that joint, that's essentially the site, right? You see the NAS Museum at the top, right? There's the radium circle, and then essentially the rectangle, if you can imagine, where the red square is. So the view corridors are the two that go east-west, and then that north-south arrow that runs right through the middle of the circle, that is just a representation where, of where we think the primary view is from that upstairs lobby in the building that you see in the left-hand slide. But I think this planning process is going to require that you not only look at the site and where the building goes, but also looking at Building 77 and how those two buildings work together. Because ideally, you have a performing arts center right next door to a museum. I mean, it's a nice combination. Um, and so those two buildings and those uses should work well together. And I mean, ultimately, if it's successful, that would be, that would be the goal. All right, and it's my understanding that this team has had communications with the leadership of the Naval Air Museum and is interested, interested in cooperating and coming up with a, that, that's a true. synergetic uh, 
is that the word synergetic uh, plan that where they work together and support each other? Absolutely. I think on issues of parking, on issues of view corridors, on just operations, and 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 how that how can the museum benefit from the having the the performing arts center right there? I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for the museum as well. All right. Then I also want to ask. So I did submit some pictures. I went out there, uh, and could you pop up the pictures and? and just to see, so I'm not sure that all of you have been to the Naval Air Museum. Uh, we're very fortunate to have that museum. So this is a picture that I took. It's similar to what you all have, but uh, they've had, uh, as you can see, uh, older cars, classic cars there. Uh, they've done a lot of cultural events in that big parking lot. Um, um, that's can right. I just ask for a minute? I just want to make sure we're staying within the Brown Act, and please freeze the council member's time. City Attorney Shen, can you help us? Um, I'm, I'm thinking that we're here for the um, purpose of considering uh, adopting a resolution approving this exclusive negotiation with the, uh, negotiating with the Little Opera House and a lease. Can you tell us how far we can go within those parameters? Uh, I'm yes. I mean, the council can certainly. Um, talk about how the design of the project will be or what it would like to see as part of the design. Um, I presume that the council member is linking this question to the design of the Radium project. Well, if you read the presentation, this picture is a very similar picture to what was in the presentation. So maybe you should have asked staff about why they're talking about it. Uh, I'd like to be able to continue with my questions. And I'd like you to just, um, as the city attorney um, indicated, stay within the uh, topic. I am staying within the topic. It's very rude of you to always interrupt me. I'd like to continue uninterrupted, please. Thank you. So my next picture. It goes, this, uh, as we were discussing earlier, some of you, if you look inside that building up on the second floor, which uh, the former director spoke to earlier when he was speaking, uh, this is actually what it looks like from inside the Naval Air Museum. And if you look at the bottom of this picture, it's actually the window that he was referencing. And if you look at it, it has the lettering of the air terminal reversed at the bottom there. And that, to me, I wanted to share this because it speaks to the historical significance and why we want these buildings to work together. Uh, because the historical building, as was said earlier, <laughs> is actually part of this. This is a historical area. When we're doing our planning, we are restrict. Uh, let me uh, speak with former <laughs> director. Could you explain the significance of why this building, we do have to acknowledge it and work with it? Any new building proposed within the historic district is gonna to have to, in the design of it, we, the city will have to consider how the, um, the design of the new building, its placement, its size, its architectural design, how it um, impacts or in any way address, you know, uh, the, the character defining features of the historic district. It, you are building a new building in the historic district and our, our, our codes and our EIRs make it very clear that the process requires a certificate of approval from the Historic Advisory Board. That's your advisory board who is, who is trained and designated to make those determinations about whether the building is compatible with the, with the character-defining features of the historic district. So that's why that those meetings with the historic advisory board are so important. So yes, these are the kinds of issues that they will be 
in the design process, the designers, all of us, will be working on to ensure that we created a, a building so that any, anyone can stand up here and say, we have a beautiful building and we think it is not an impact to the character defining features of the historic district. And you spoke earlier in regards to the view corridor from, from this uh, vantage yeah. point. Yeah. This, is, this is essentially the view that's described in both, you know, in the specific plan, like it's an important view from the air terminal building out to the water. So I appreciate that, and so I was able to be with the um, curator of the museum today and go down there and get a picture to uh, supplement the presentation. So I appreciate that very much. Um, and I also wanted to uh, speak about the, um, the team that has been working on this, Chris Seiwald's team. Uh, if you go to, there's an attachment, and it's um, the RFP submittal part one, if you go to pages, starting at page 15, there are multiple pages that describe each member of the team. And earlier, uh, Mr. Seiwald had said, there, he rattled off like three things that are important. Location, I believe, um, can, I'll ask uh, former <laughs> director Andrew Thomas, can you remind me what were the other two? Or maybe Mr. Seiwald wants to um, answer that. I was thinking it was just location, location, location. Okay, I know, but he actually had, <laughs> I agree a, with you. It's a spin on that, but location, uh, the facility, and its purpose. All right, and I want to submit a fourth one, which is the people that are part of this team. And so I would uh, suggest that if you take the time, uh, Mr. Seiwald, you have actually um, created an amazing team, and I want to thank all of the people from the team that have stepped up to support this effort because um, it does reflect the diversity of our community. Um, and I have been able to participate in multiple events that have been out there. And I do encourage everyone to go out and participate. I really do think that this is um, going to um, reflect our community. And um, so to me, I wanted to add a fourth, which is the, the people, the team, and our community at large. I really think this is going to be an amazing project, and I look forward to working, um, going through the process, the uh, HAB, I think that's obviously critical, uh, but I do want to commend, and we have so many team members here that have spoken, and I know they've invested so much time, and uh, obviously you too, Mr. Slywell. Thank you so much. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you, and I just want to rec um, remind all of the council members that we all followed the rules of conduct for our city council meetings, which is to um, address each other with civility. Um, I just ask that we all be as courteous as the audience has been, which is amazing. So thank you. Um, Councilmember Bella. I, I just, um, I, I appreciate the, the Q&A and the, the questions that were asked. I do hope that, um, we follow the actual steps um, laid out in the process and allow for design input uh, in the later stages uh, from the full council and um, certainly appreciate that we all have different views um, of view corridors and other things, um, but wanna just make sure that uh, the public is is understands that what we're agreeing on tonight is is actually the, the ENA, the exclusive negotiating agreement and that there will be time for input, um, both public input as well as council input um, relative to the design. Um, hopefully we will get to that point. Um, that's my desire. Thanks. 
Thank you for that reminder that, um, yes, we'll stay in our lane, but it'll hopefully come back to the council sooner rather than later. All right, um, and I just want to say I'm fully in support, and I have been for a long time, and I am um, always just dazzled by the amount of talent and creativity we have in this community and the, the talent that um, we've been able to attract, and I just marvel at all the the different iterations that I've seen unfold and look forward to many more. And it's just, it is a wonderful thing for the community. I love going to these performances and just not only watching the performance, but watching the audience and just seeing the face, the faces and the expressions and it's magical. So um, let's do good things. All right, I know we've had a motion by Councilmember Jensen, seconded by Councilmember Vela. All those in favor? Uh, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstain? Seeing then that motion um, passes unanimously. Thank you everyone who was a speaker and if you will just tiptoe out, we're gonna move on to the next item. Madam Clerk, would you introduce our next item? A public hearing to consider adoption of resolution amending master fee resolution number 12191 to add and revise recreation and park fees for calendar year 2024. <coughs> All right, welcome. welcome. Director Long, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, uh, Thank you, Madam Mayor and Council Members. My name is Justin Long. I'm the Director of Recreation and Parks here for Alameda, and I'm here to present the 2024 Recreation and Park User Fee Schedule. Um, this is a process that we bring to you annually to review our current fees, uh, and uh, we'll just get started here. I'll try to keep this brief for you. Um, the department uh, faces a lot of challenges. Uh, we have a lot of part-time staff. We have over 150 part-time staff. They account for over almost 90% of all the part-time staff for the city. Um, some of those challenges that we're facing is, you know, as hiring in the Bay Area has gotten higher, salaries have gone up, hourly wages have gone up, and to be competitive to try to fill those positions, a lot of costs have gone up, water, electricity, all the types of supplies that we have. And so we try to balance the the fees that we charge for our programs for access, but also to try to reduce the overall impact to the general fund as the uh, recreation programs are all now funded out of the general fund. So what we're trying to do is to provide the biggest complement of programs. And what we do is we look at different fees um, and we look at different areas. So we focus on surrounding cities. Every year we do a comparison study of local municipality recreation programs to see how we are in alignment with what we're offering and the rates that other cities are offering to see if we're compliant and also trying to make sure that we're, we're offering a balanced programming for realistic fees here for the city of Alameda. Um, our cost recovery model is really based on sort of this triangle where our higher fees are generally targeted toward more individualistic programs. So if you're taking a private tennis lesson or a private swim lesson, um, those type of activities tend to have a little bit of a higher cost so that um, you, the program could help to try to cover itself because the major benefit is really to one individual versus a large group. And then as we go down into some of our larger classes, summer camps, our tiny tots, and our, our after-school programs, those costs come down because it's being supported by a larger group and we want to make sure that we're making sure that all the community has access to these programs. And then we go down to our higher benefit, which really affects a lot of people, so, uh, and are generally free or almost low cost to the community. So our free mobile rec, our teen center, the, a lot of the programs at the Massac Center are really at a much reduced rate in order to make sure that we can provide those uh, uh, access for those community members. 
So what I'd like to do is, is highlight some of the, the some of the more regular fees that you see that come into play here. So I'm just going to highlight some of these uh, right here. So uh, our athletic fields are heavily used, and so one of the things that we've done to uh, try to keep those fields in great quality and condition uh, is that we are doing a sort of stepped rate of increase to those uh, those those fees. So like for example, for the uh, youth org, you know, last year it was $8 an hour. This year has transitioned up to $9 an hour. We've had a lot of conversations with some of our heaviest users, like the Alameda Soccer Club, who think this is a, it's a fair fee for what they're actually getting and the access and the quality of the parks they're actually getting. Um, one of the fees that we looked at, and our staff looked internally at this because of uh, the facility and its heavy usage, is the Alameda Point Gym. So currently, we charge $45 an hour per court for tournaments at that facility. Um, in conversations with groups like the Alameda Vipers um, and, and looking at the surrounding cities, uh, the, the average range for some of the basketball court rentals for, for tournaments range between 60 and all the way up to $120 an hour. And here in Alameda, we are offering it at 45. A lot of these uh, tournaments uh, often may only have one Alameda team at that uh, and there may be up to 60 to 70 teams that are also being charged a relatively high uh, fee of maybe up to of three to $400 in order to, to participate in that tournament. Um, there's a really big impact because those tournaments run almost eight to 10 hours a day back to back at that facility. And so there's staffing there, there's extra cleaning, there's a lot of different costs associated with that. Um, and also just wear and tear and cleaning on the floor that we have to do. So um, what we we're proposing this year is to raise that to $74 in order to uh, help cover some of those costs. Um, and then uh, some of the other facilities we're looking at is there's, there's a lot of activity in that gym. There's some alternative uses that get done. There, we have uh, some judo competitions. We have other things that bring in mats and also chairs, because there's a lot of spectators at these things. So we've increased the security deposit, and what we're saying is based on type of use, because we will take a, a security deposit that from a, a usage that might have a bigger impact of the floor, potentially cause more damage. Because really, we want the, the users and the renters of the facility to really take care of it. Uh, this is a totally refundable, refundable deposit, so if they take care of it and it's in a good condition, there's actually no impact to the, to the group. So uh, and we really haven't had a lot of that. It's just to be a little bit more precautionary. And then at the Mastic Social Hall, um, we're actually, it's a good thing. Uh, we're getting a lot of use for the social hall, and which is really sort of impacting the, the staffing and the cleaning of the facility. And so the current hourly rate for that, for a nonprofit, is $75 an hour, and it's being increased to 25. It's just because we're seeing a huge increase in the, the amount of people that are renting that facility. Can you just um, repeat that again? It's by 25 to 100, right? You said 75 to 25, right? Oh, sorry. I did the Massive Social Hall, the current hourly rate is $75 an hour, and it's transitioning up to $100 an hour to try to accommodate. So it's a $25, hour, $25 an hour increase. Yeah, okay. So, and then uh, under the uh, club underground transport, uh, it had been elevated last year to $4, and which is almost higher than transit, so we re-lowered it back down to $2 because there's no reason that we should be charging probably more for that. And also, we just want to make sure that we're doing something that is uh, supportive of that program. And this is a lot for underground teens, so we wanted to make sure we're actually supporting that. 
And then our tennis court rentals. Um, the resident rate currently is $10, and we're transitioning it up to $12. And then the non-resident is transitioning up to $16 from $14. So, it, so or from $12, I apologize. There's a $4 increase for non-resident. So this is done with a comparison study and looking at surrounding cities and trying to elevate that up. There's also a lot of electricity costs at those, and so there's other maintenance that is going on for those facilities. So again, it's just to try to recoup a little bit of that so we can keep those facilities in good order. Um, and overall, a lot of our, our programs, like our swim lessons and our youth programs, uh, in order to just stay in alignment with sort of the cost of living adjustments that are being made to salaries and other utilities, this is just sort of stepping up along to try to keep in alignment with the funding so that we can continue to provide these programs and with the staffing that we have. Um, we also looked at uh, the Oak Club rental rates and compared it locally here to some facilities here in Alameda, like the Oaks Belts Club and uh, Grandview Pavilion and Oakland Yacht Club. And so what we're really trying to do is to, to make some adjustments. So there was a slight increase there, um, but not it was only $10 an, uh, an hour per room. So. So we also had a really fun event this year. So the Blues, Brews, and Barbecues occupied Washington Park. And so under our current fee structure, there really was no way to put together a fee for that. So what we ended up doing was cobbling together different parts of the park that we do have fees for, like the basketball and the, uh, uh, around the uh, recreation center and the picnic area. So we really had to kind of cobble together a bunch of these. And so what we did is we did a, a comparison about what an open space should be. And so we were able to come up with the $250 an hour for, for the entire large open space. So again, it was trying to give staff a method to be able to work with it, with these partners, because I do believe that you know because of the success of that, I think we may actually get more events like that trying to happen in our parks. So that is a completely new fee that's being proposed for 2024. So with that, I will pause and stop for questions. All right, thank you. Um, council, do we have any, and I'm assuming we have some public comment? No public comment, okay. Um, well, if we have no public comment, I will close public comment at this time and we'll just open the floor to council. Comments, questions, motion. Uh, Councilmember Jensen, it's your hand up, go ahead. I have some questions. So um, I, I see that the uh, athletic fields, there's a, it says youth organization, 75% residents. So that is, the organization must include 75% residents? Uh, council member, yes, that's correct. In order to be counted as a uh, youth um, nonprofit and from Alameda to be a resident, you have to have 75% of the people on your, in your organization from Alameda. Why wasn't that um, why wasn't that distinction included for the gym rental? So the the gym rental the what we were looking at is um, to to be honest with you the uh, the primary usage of the gym facility is all nonprofits. Uh, Alameda Vipers represents about 85 percentage of the tournament usage at that facility currently. Um, what we were looking at. Uh, for the actual facility was to uh, accommodate, um, I guess what a better way to say is, I, in doing the fee comparison study, the $60 an hour being the, the lowest rate that we found uh, in the Hayward Area Recreation District, um, applied to both uh, residents and non-residents. So what we're trying to do here is look at the actual cost of the facility 
and try to make that adjustment. And I had a good conversation with the head of Alameda Vipers and talking about the, the facility fee and the expectation and how it's being used. So that's, that's how we do. We do increase the rental rates for non-residents. So this, this rate is actually uh, uh, lower for, for the non-resident. The 70, so the, this fee schedule is not, the, the, there's more fees that aren't on here? Oh, I, I, I misspoke, I apologize. The, we don't really have any profit rentals at the gym currently. They're all almost non-profit, so we're only proposing the one fee because there's literally almost no for-profit facilities because the amount of usage for that facility and the way our, uh, our allocation is done is that uh, those would have the least amount of um, a priority and it is almost fully occupied already. So we really don't have the ability to do much of that rental. When I understand that um, uh, up until about, up until the pandemic, about three years ago, Alameda basketball used, had tournaments every year at the gym as well. So it was the Vipers um, having multiple tournaments and Alameda Youth Basketball having one preseason tournament for two days and, and um, I, I'm under the, I, I've been told that Alameda Youth Basketball is no longer using the gym because the cost went up in several years ago. I could be, um, Amy, Ms. Wolbridge, you might have more information about that, um, Assistant City Manager, but that's not my question. I, I just wanted to really clarify and be clear that this is actually a burden on Vipers on our local club um, basketball team. We have one club basketball team in Alameda, it's the Alameda Vipers. And as you said, they are 80% of the users of Alameda Point Gym and have been for a number of years. So this um, increase is going to actually be directed at that organization and is a nonprofit and that does serve 80% um, or more Alameda youth, except for, as you know, during tournaments when other teams from other places come in to play Alameda youth and, and our youth go to other places as well. So I have, um, would like to learn or, or hear about other options that you've discussed okay. rather than the 64% the increase yeah. in, in yeah, hourly fees. That's fair. When we met with the Alameda Vipers, we talked about the, the increase. Um, and overall, uh, in, during that conversation, uh, they thought the fee was not absurd. Uh, they felt that it was somewhat fair, but they requested that we could potentially phase it over two years. The department is more than willing to, to do that with a $15 increase this year, potentially followed by an additional $15 in the following year. Depending on how that works, we can see, we can work with those partner organizations. We're glad to do that. Um, but overall, the, 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 the cost for maintaining that facility and operating it when you have upwards of three to 400 kids in that facility, we're looking at trying to cover some of those costs for the staffing, including the maintenance and all of the extra effort that and trash and everything else that we have to do. So again, we're willing to work with the, the Alameda Vipers to do this. Um, and you know, uh, if, if it's acceptable to council, we would propose that, that we could do a phased uh, effort. And then as we come here next year, we can have that conversation again about whether or not we need to do that fully increase. We're trying to get it up to a bit of market rate. When we do that, know that in the majority of these tournaments that are held, they are almost all non-Alameda teams that are playing there. 
No, I, and that's true because this is a club, you know, AFC club, and so they have to play other teams, and you may even have experience with, with Vipers or with. <laughs> so, um, my other question is about the Alameda Point gym. We, I see that court facilities are um, rentals are increased by two dollars an hour. Isn't there some pickleball being done at Alameda Point gym? Currently, there is pickleball being offered. Uh, three days a week at Alameda Point Gym for about three hours a day. There is a drop-in fee there that is just $5. So you can drop in and play at the Alameda Point Gym and it is just a $5 fee for the period that you're there. Well, and, and that's great and we do need more pickleball, but that is all uh, as well causing wear and tear and, in and increasing maintenance costs, et cetera. So I um, just wondered whether you considered raising that fee um, since the fee for basketball hourly was increased so much. So when we looked at um, the fees in general, what we were trying to also look at is the access of space in, the, in, in all of Alameda for pickleball. And so what we were really trying to do is to make sure that there was still an accessible place to play given that the winter is here and really trying to make sure that we are doing a balance. Um, yeah, I know the hub has come in and they're charging very different fees than we are, but we still want to make sure that there's an accessible place for the community to play. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that that should be the same can be said for ASC, ASU basketball tournaments um, that are sponsored by the Vipers. So it, there's no other place for the Vipers to play, play um, I guess. That, no, there's not enough. That fortunately, we're, we're fortunate to have the Alameda Point Gym because there's so many courts available to play simultaneously. And so, I um, appreciate your the the option to phase it in over two years. I I'm not sure that in my conversations that Vipers are supportive. They may recognize the need for some increase, but the 60% increase just seems very burdensome to me. And um, I. I'm still not convinced that it's justified. And I also would like to, as I mentioned earlier, I, 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 I'm, I can see why, since the Vipers are the only organization really using the Alameda Point Gym, why it's not being um, dis 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 distinguished as are the athletic fields, 75% resident um, youth organizations. And I, you could clarify that for me. Is that because we have outside organizations, soccer clubs, other, uh, other organizations using the athletic fields versus just the Vipers using the Alameda Point Gym? Uh, we have lots of outside, uh, we have uh, the majority of our field allocation is almost all uh, people in organizations from Alameda. Uh, we have a very big demand for the actual, whether it's softball, soccer, uh, and, and everything here. So we don't give a, a lot of space to a lot of outside organizations. Some at the uh, estuary and challenger field, if you look at those fees, they did go up as well uh, for the lit fields and for those as well. Um, and the other, the other things that there are many uh, organizations like Alameda Education Foundation ha uses those the gym heavily, as well as AYB uses it as well, and also several other schools. And those fees remain the same for them. And so we really looked at only looking at the the actual activities that brought in a lot of outside groups. So that's where we were really trying to do, but also looking at the hundreds of people that are there and the level of cleaning that has to happen and the maintenance of the bathrooms and the staffing and the setup and really looking at all of that. And that's that's why we really did focus on that, that fee. Uh, 
I, and I appreciate that, and I, and I also think that there should be differences for members and residents and non-residents, and as you know, I'm sure from your research, Oakland's gym fees, and I just looked at gym fees, or their master fee schedule fees are um, $10 difference, 60 versus 50, I believe, for most um, gyms for residents versus non-residents, and, um, but we, this gym is not used for practices any longer, as I understand it. So there's Alameda Point Gym. I don't believe, is it used for, for Vipers practice or just for tournaments? No, they're, they're definitely used for practices as well as for the teams to play in. They're in there Monday through Friday throughout the week during this. The tournaments are really only the weekend days. And as we did our comparison study, like cities like Emeryville and Oakland have a, have a scaling for uh, Friday through Sunday. So Emeryville actually increases their, theirs um, up to, from 90 up to 120 for weekend hours only. And so a lot of those tournaments, because they are also looking at who's using the facility, and the big demand is for those weekend hours for tournaments. And we are, we are very thankful that we have that facility that has four, gym, four uh, courts in it that can accommodate large tournaments. And, and really, it's sort of the upkeep to that. This last year, we had to upgrade all the padding on the side of the gym for approximately $60,000. Um, we have an engineering report that's still in its preliminary phases that's going to come with a pretty hefty price tag in order just to keep the building structurally sound. So these are things that are going to be coming up. But again, it's that we're trying to keep that facility into a really good, productive um, program while also still helping and still supporting you know, our organizations like the Vipers. Um, can you, uh, I, I'm not seeing what the fees are for, um, per court, for, for court fees at the gym. I see tournament fees, but I don't see practice fees. So I, we, we I don't. I see outdoor basketball. So let me pull it up here, one second here. And while Mr. Long is looking that information up, um, Councilmember Jensen, are you still on the board of directors of the Alameda Youth Basketball Club? Yes, I am. So the, the, the fees that are charged uh, for the, um, just for the regular component is the, is the $45 an hour. That is what we charge for games and practices and for those components. Um, those are not changing for those groups. All of those rates are staying exactly the same. The only fee that is being parsed out for any gym rental fees from last year to this year is the tournament fee. Nothing is being increased at the facility. Okay, thank you, great. And um, my last question is about the facility rental for the Mastic. And is there any, um, do Mastic's members of the Senior Center, I see that facility rental of the Social Hall is $100 an hour, or going up to 100 from $75 an hour. Is there any, um, is there a fee that, is this a fee that says nonprofits, but do members have access to that Social Hall, can they? Members have access to the whole social hall during the day if they're doing activities and different programming throughout Mastic so that it's not a, a rental itself. Oh, I understand. Can, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can they rent it for a, um, often for um, sometimes for services, for um, uh, bereavement services, or for other types of social events? Yes, they can. I, there's not there's not a discount offered through that, but that is the, the fee that is offered for that okay. rental. Okay, so that would be the same. Yes. Okay, thank you. And I believe our assistant city manager, um, Amy Boldridge, wanted to add something. 
Yes, thank you. Um, Councilmember Jensen, I just wanted to add on to what uh, Director Long was saying about the gym that um, to your question about wh why there's not resident versus non -re and a non-resident fee for tournaments, um, it'd be really challenging to track because um, in order what, what the Recreation Parks Department does to track residents, residential status of its organizations is they have to give the department a roster for each season. But for, for tournaments, the Vipers is collecting all of these, you know, um, registrations for teams and not individuals and and so there really is no way to track the residential rate or you know the rate whether it's 75 percent alameda participants or not when it comes to tournaments so that's why it really has to be just one fee for tournaments not parsed out by residential um before i take another question we're going to take a quick pause to do a little housekeeping it is quarter to 11 and so um, we still have to finish this item, <laughs> this item that um, is 7C, and then we have 7D on the regular calendar. It is approaching 11 o'clock, and we have to decide before 11 o'clock um, what more items we would take. I, and, we, um, and we need four votes to um, approve that. I would propose that we vote to get through um, this item, 7D, the city manager communications and, and um, uh, oral communications number nine, because I think we still have a lot of, um, uh, of speakers. And then, because I know I have at least one council member who's uh, been up at an early hour and I think has another early morning tomorrow, but um, that would be my motion. Uh, Second. Mayor, can I just I, ask Of one? course, city yeah, I just want to make sure that, so the staff for the public art master plan, you're saying to mm -hmm. move it, right? Well, to hear it tonight. Oh, to hear it tonight. No, okay, no, I'm saying, I'm saying get through, sorry, I wasn't being clear enough. Get through the regular calendar, Got so it, okay. all of all of seven, seven C, okay. we're on C now, correct? And get through D, get through city manager communications, get through item nine, oral communications, and call it a night. And okay, so I have a motion and a second. Um, any questions, Question, comments? Yes. Uh, in regards to, so uh, council communications, could we include that? Um, I, um, my only hesitation about council communications is um, nine minutes each would take us another 45 minutes, and I'm trying to be respectful of a council member who's been, but would you, are you proposing maybe less than nine minutes a piece? Well, what, we what haven't had council communications for uh, multiple meetings now, and I do like to hear from my fellow council members, um, but I, I, I don't know that any total? of them ever take nine minutes. Beg your, I'm sorry, say it again? I'm not sure that anyone ever takes nine minutes, but I would like to hear what here from our council members. Um, well, I think we can we can um, tailor a motion to say, someone help me out. What should we say? We, two minutes. Two minutes. A council member. That'll be another ten minutes. Yeah, good. Okay. So let me amend that motion. So we finish the regular calendar all the way through seven D, <coughs> city count manager communications number eight, oral communications number nine, and then we will jump to what is it anyway? It's eleven. Council communications, two minutes per person. Sound like a plan? Second. Still willing to second? Okay, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Was that five ayes? Aye, aye, aye. <clears throat> I think so. Any opposed? Any abstains? Okay, that carries. All right, back to you. <laughs> or where Thank were you. we anyway? Was there a question? Uh, you Had you finished? Did you have another question, Councilmember Jensen? No. And you'd finished your explanation. Thank you for that. And Councilmember Vela. Uh, so I think with our... Um, you know, 
we spend a lot of time um, uh, kind of reviewing the costs relative to the master fee re uh, fee schedule, um, and you know I think we've at least in my time on the council, I feel like we've often struggled with Alameda Point Gym, and there's been a lot of capital improvements um, on the gym. I think at one point we were redoing the courts themselves, the floors, we've redone the bathrooms there, we've um, continuously um, been kind of making sure that I think there was a roof uh, upgrade that we did at one point. Um, so we've we've spent a significant amount of, of city cap funding on these capital improvements. We do want to keep the gym, part of keeping the gym is maintaining it. Um, my understanding from previous kind of conversations around this was also that the tournaments are really used as kind of a fundraising mechanism for some of these leagues. Those increased costs could certainly be passed on to the participating teams from other um, communities who are coming to play just as they pass off their tournament costs on our team um, to cover the, the increased costs. Um, I, I am fine doing a, a, a tiered um, increase, but I would want to make sure that we get to market um, and, and that there's an understanding that we're getting to market to cover those costs. Um, I, I also had a question in terms of when the tournament schedules go out because if there's time like if they haven't already planned on hosting the tournament and and paying the fee I'm assuming um, then is there an opportunity for them to do cost recovery as part of uh, that process because you see what I'm saying I mean we, we could tear it out but if there's a possibility for them to say look this is the new cost and, and build it into their tournament fees for this current year, there's less of an impact that I'm seeing on, on our teams. So yeah, just curious uh, about that. I can provide you, Council Member, um, some clarifying. Uh, so the last allocation just occurred, so mm -hmm. there won't be another one starting until uh, mid-February. Mm -hmm. So right now the allotment has been assigned, so no fees will be charged differently during that time yeah. frame. And so as they move forward after those, those next allotments or those allocations for those, they can consider that rate increase into those tournament fees moving forward. This won't affect any currently scheduled. Okay, so I, I guess I, I hear the argument coming from, from some of, or, or the concern and the, the request to tier it, but I'm not necessarily seeing a, a way that they couldn't cost recover sooner. Um, I, I think you have a great point, Council Member Vela, and I just did the really back of the envelope math. If, if for generally their tournaments are eight hours, so that's $600 additional charge for a one day tournament, and they generally have 400 players, so that's a dollar fifty additional cost if you pass it on to the player registration fee. Yeah, so I, I think that's kind of, I, I just, I, I hear the concern, but I'm also just, when our teams go and presumably because of the, the competitive play, they, they do travel and they do play in other communities when they're renting gyms, they're paying those costs to make sure that they're covering the cost of the wear and tear. And, um, you know, I think we've done a lot to try to um, support our different teams, but we also, the reason that our, our costs have been so low up to this point is that we deferred increases um, in the past, which is why we've we've run so far behind. So that's my other concern with, with kind of tearing this out and pushing off the increases to later because, uh, again, 
um, our costs of maintenance continue to go up um, and uh, we continue to kind of dig ourselves into a hole relative to that. So I'm just trying to find a, a, a medium ground where we can move forward. Um, I do think that giving people time to plan um, and, and put out information, which is what I'm hearing, that these wouldn't go into effect essentially in, or impact tournaments until March. Is that correct? That'll be correct. Okay. Um, I, I think that's important. Um, and I, I also think the historical context of the capital improvements for the building, especially more recently, and then the, um, the fact that we've not done the increases, and so we've fallen behind, has effectively worked as a cost savings over time. Um, so we're kind of subsidizing these out-of-city teams coming to play in these tournaments, which are great. I'm very glad that we're hosting tournaments and making use of our facilities. But it also means that um, other groups within the city of Alameda are not using the facilities at that time. So I do think that there is something to that. And the, the fact that the tournaments have been used as kind of uh, uh, revenue or, or kind of revenue generation for nonprofits um, to operate, and I understand their costs have gone up too. So, that's that was my concern. Thank you. All right, thank you, um, Vice Mayor. Well, thank you very much. Um, I do want to note that there was a concern raised by, um, I believe, the Vice President from Viper, um, and, and it sounds like um, uh, what you had mapped out as a possible um, approach to dealing with the concern. Um, was appears to be something that that the vice president ha had raised um, in that communication. Um, so maybe that's something that is um, worked out, perhaps. Um, so, anyways, I, I just want to note that. Um, other items, um, as usual, you know, I understand. You know, it's a fine balance that that um, that staff has to make. Um, in the best of all worlds, you know, we wouldn't, um, you know, have to increase these kind of costs. But, um, but uh, the reality, though, is, you know, inflation hits everybody, including City Hall. And, um, you know, I do appreciate the um, kind of a method by which we're trying to be uh, conscientious as to how we allocate costs. Um, so for the most part, um, I, I think I'm, I'm very supportive of what staff has presented. Um, you know, if if the um, if what Councilmember Jensen or what the Vice President of Vipers had raised in terms of dealing with the um, you know the jump to 75, if if that's you know um, amenable to that would be great. But you know, let's see. Thank you. So. For my part, um, I thank you for all the, the work that went into putting all this data together. And it is a balancing act. I mean, the thing about Alameda is a lot of our structures, our, our infrastructure, our park structures, recreation facilities are older, so they do require that not only maintenance, but sometimes we have to go in and redo things and for safety reasons, for example, out at Alameda Point Gym. And, and there are costs to it. So I really um, commend you, and, and probably you, um, Assistant City Manager Woldridge, um, helped in this too. And I, I appreciate the comparisons to other, other cities, and I think what you've proposed is very reasonable, and I'm ready to support the staff recommendation um, as set forth in the, in the staff report. Um, Council Member Herrera-Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. 
Uh, I do have a question in regards to this consolidated fee for events. Sure. When uh, Boys and Girls Club uses uh, that grass area in front of uh, City Hall West, or I think that's where they did their corks, forks, and rhythm and blues, would this uh, fee, 250 per hour, apply to that, that type of use? This was really for special events, sort of like large outside planned events, like uh, what happened with Blues Cruise and barbecues. This was not targeted at small uh, nonprofit groups uh, as a usage fee. But this that, that area actually, sorry, Councilmember Harris Spencer, is not part of the Alameda Recreation and Parks Department purview. You're talking about the um, parade grounds parade at Alameda parade, Point. Yeah. And so that's a completely separate process because it's not under the Parks Department. And so that fee would not apply. Um, they work directly with um, River Rock has a new name, LPI, oh, um, um. With, our, with, the, with the Base Reuse Department and, 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 and to do a license agreement for that use. So do we know, is this fee comparable to that fee? Yeah, I don't know <coughs> what that license fee is. All right, so uh, the, um, go ahead. I don't, I don't know. Because maybe, so that could be an alternative if in fact the two, have, has there been discussions with the Western Arts District uh, who does this blues, brews, and barbecue in regards to paying the 250 per hour? Has there been discussion with them? Uh, we did not have a discussion <coughs> with them, but that fee there represents less than what they were charged for the actual event. The reason why that was done is because as we tried to cobble the different event structures together, they ended up renting the, the facility at the, the whole rec center, the inside fee. There was also the basketball court fee. They used the field, they used the um, picnic areas. And so when those all got cobbled together, it added up to more an hour than actually what that fee is. This is actually trying to clean it up and to make it simpler and also to be more realistic so they can plan instead of trying to have an event and then come see staff and go, oh, well now we have these 16 different little fees that all combine and up to a higher amount that they didn't, couldn't plan for because they couldn't, they, they just, because they can't see it directly, it all added up together. All right, well, I'm sure they'll be happy if it's a reduction in the cost. Um, so I think that's good to know. Um, in regards to the uh, tournament play at the gym, I. Uh, appreciate uh, Member Jensen's comments in regards to that. Um, I have concerned that was a 65, I came up with 65% increase, which is dramatically more than the other increases. Um, have you been able to circle back to them in regards to if there's, if there's a $15 increase per hour, that's still a 33% increase, which is still significant compared to a lot of these other increases. Some of the increases are $1 more, right? So it's nominal. Uh, but I think a 33% increase or a 65% increase is significant. So were you able to circle back with them and would they be acceptable? Are they okay with a 33% increase or is that still gonna be hard? So when I had a sit down meeting with the Alameda Vipers uh, probably about three and a half weeks ago uh, where we sat down and discussed the, these fees along with their allocation. I spoke with Marianne. We talked about the fee increase. I, she appealed to me and said that it is a high increase for a one year increase. And uh, this, was, this was prior to it going to the Park and Rec Commission. Not prior, it was after that fact that when I went to Park and Rec. So uh, in November, so when we sat down around the, the, the winter <coughs> allocation is when we had that conversation around the fees. Uh, she had indicated that the, 
the overall increase was not too offensive, but she did ask me in that meeting if we could <coughs> do it in two phases over two years. She did look at the fee and she did see that it was warranted. So uh, again, I, I also implored her to reach out to council members to express her opinion during that meeting. And I believe that's what she has done in communicating with you with that process. Actually, I don't think she discussed the 33% increase. I think she only discussed the 65% uh, increase. So I wasn't sure that it was communicated with her and that she is agreeable I, to that. I specifically talked to her about it in the meeting about doing a staged 50% increase getting up to the $74 an hour. So then do you anticipate, and maybe you wouldn't know, um, whenever they get up to the $75, and if that's two years, then could they anticipate another 33% increase? No, because of this, this gets us back up to market rate with what is actually being charged for gym fees that are actually in the area. Again, like I was saying, is they, they currently range between $60 for one court down in Hayward all the way up to $120 an hour in Emeryville, depending on the days of use. So again, we are trying to balance out uh, around that, and we're only focused on tournaments. Every other time to rent that facility and do practices is still at the $45 an hour, which is what they're currently paying, which is currently in our facilities, and we didn't look at any of changing any of those fees. It was really only targeting, again, those tournament fees. Well, I appreciate that, but I do think that tournaments are an important part of basketball, <laughs> um, and I want to make sure that it's actually reasonable, and I appreciate that it, you can go to another city and you can pay more, but I live in Alameda, and the uh, <laughs> the Vipers that are Alamedans that are playing here, and, um, I want to support that effort. So um, I am concerned about the, I definitely will not be able to support the 65% increase. Um, I think it would have been nice to have the uh, this different 33% increase as part of, that. Was that in the presentation somewhere that, that the difference of the, what you're offering, the $15 versus, um, what was it? The that was not in the 30. presentation. Okay. It, was, it was based on the feedback from, from Vipers that we could potentially, if, if council wants, I can offer a, a stage. But we did talk about it with the Alameda Vipers. All right, so I would be supportive of the 33% increase. Um, and I'm happy to make a motion to support it as long as we adapt that one charge so that it's, uh, $15 the first year and then another 15 the second year. I'm gonna call on Council Member Vella. So <clears throat> I, I, just to clarify, because I, I think there's been reference to a, an email from um, Marion Carter, which said she was agreeable to a, a tiered increase, um, which would be collecting the full $75 over two years. Is that, that's my understanding. And I'm hearing from staff that that is something that staff is amenable to. We are. Can you restate that again? That I can make yeah. it into a motion. Actually, I'd like to do it. I would ask the director to restate it, please. Yes, uh, that we would uh, phase in the increase to the, and we're only increasing it to 74, it wasn't 75, but increase to the $74 an hour over a course of two years, mm -hmm. with the first year being a $15 increase, and potentially the second year being a 14, depending on, so we're not charging cents and, and doing that. So uh, we could we will we'll propose that uh, to the council for this fee so, proposal. So I just wanna clarify the motion, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, um, so the, the motion, and it seems like we're all in agreement, is 
uh, to move forward with staff's recommended changes uh, with the one augmentation um, being the phased approach to the tournament fee for the Alameda Point uh, gyms over two years with a uh, $15 increase this year and a potentially $14 increase uh, next year. Correct. Correct. Okay. I will second that. Thank you. All right. We've had a, a motion. Um, it's been seconded. All those, does anybody want to say anything else? We still have more I, items I to cover. Councilmember Jensen, of course. Thank you. Um, this master fee schedule will be returning to council next year? Yes, we bring this annually to council, usually in uh, November and December. Every so year. at the next year, it would just, the tournament fees would be the remainder? Yes. You wouldn't anticipate that there would be a need for, what we're actually doing here is establishing for this year that we will have we will have a $30 instead of a $74, and then that leads to next year's fees being um, increased by only $14, be $14 increase right. in the following year. But at that time, you will have to adopt it then. So right. this year, you're only approving the $15 $15 an hour increase to the to tournament fee. Well, that's my question. So we, we are actually currently 45. To my point, that's my point. It, we're approving a two-year fee change in a one-year master fee schedule. Uh, you're, I, I guess I can't defer to you for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it, it's it's noted. It would be noted in the motion, and so um, it's something we've done before. And so I'll give you an example. Um, this happened with the gym, and Councilmember Vela referenced it earlier, where, where staff brought, um, I brought a, a fee that the council felt was too high because we hadn't raised it for a number of years. And so together with council, we came up with a three-year implementation plan, and so then we implemented that over the three years. However, each time it comes back, council has the authority to Overrated. make whatever changes. So with that three-year implementation, COVID hit, and council chose to defer it for a year. So anything can change when yeah. Director Long brings it back Thank to council you. next year. Yeah. All right. Are we good? All right. We've had a motion by, who made it? Uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer, seconded by Councilmember Vela. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. Aye. Uh, aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Hearing none, that motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much, Director Long and Assistant City Manager Wooldridge. And Madam Clerk, would you please introduce the next um, and last regular agenda item? Adoption of resolution adopting the public art master plan. All right. And come on up and feel free to make it brief. <laughs> <laughs> Just and saying. thank you all for hearing this this evening. I appreciate it. You said what? Thank you for hearing this. Item oh, this we, we, I Much wouldn't have not heard it this evening. No, you betcha. Welcome. All right. Uh, well, good evening again, Madam Mayor and members of the City Council. My name is Walker Toma. I'm a development manager with the Base Reuse and Economic Development Department. And uh, I am joined this evening by Jen Krava, who's uh, joining virtually. Um, she is the Director of Programming and New Initiatives at Forecast Public Art, who's the consultant that worked on this project with us for a while now, about 18 months. Uh, together, we'll be making this, uh, this evening's presentation, recommending approval of a resolution adopting the draft public art master plan. I want to begin with a little bit of context about <coughs> what this master plan is and seeks to do. Uh, the Public Art Master Plan is a comprehensive guide that aims to promote and support public art in the city of Alameda. 
This plan establishes policies <coughs> and procedures that will help the city to effectively manage its public art program and collection, prioritize public art funding, and create a cohesive approach to public art that is accessible and inclusive. The plan builds upon the 2012 report Synergy, Public Art for Alameda, and the Alameda General Plan 2040, and will help the city to evaluate success of its public art program and measure its impact on the community. We believe the plan will amplify a sense of place and identity for the city, helping to define Alameda's unique character and enhance its cultural and creative landscape. So collaboratively, developing a master plan is understood to be a best practice for guiding municipal public art programs. Given the variability of public art fund revenues, limited staff capacity, and the public art commission's turnover, juxtaposed with often multi-year efforts to require to realize public art projects, the adoption of a master plan would provide consistent policy guidance and allow for the effective pursuit of medium and long-term public art priorities in Alameda. In short, the development of this plan is in part to ensure the city's limited resources are being used to support the most important and impactful public art projects. The plan will also enable the city to create a strategic approach to site selection for public art and public artists, carefully planning ahead to avoid potential issues and ensure that public art is integrated seamlessly into the community. I'd now like to give the floor to Jen Kraba of Forecast Public Art, who will be discussing the community engagement efforts and additional input that inform this plan and present the plan's recommendations. All right, thank, thank you. you Welcome. <laughs> thank you so much. We conducted several community engagement activities as part of the planning process, and the Public Art Commission participated in three workshops, which involved creating a shared definition of public art, articulating what Alameda's public art program should be known for, and reviewing comparative programming of other cities in California in order to provide inspiration around what could happen in Alameda in the future. Additionally, we held 11 one-on-one -on -one conversations and four focus groups. Folks who were part of these were city council members, city staff, arts and culture organizations, educators, developers, artists, and philanthropists. We conducted a community-wide survey in English and Spanish, which generated 439 responses about existing public art activities and artworks they would like to see in the future and where they would like to see them. Through these channels, we learned that the arts community is ready and excited for opportunities. We also learned that there is limited capacity in the city staff as there is not a full-time public art position. Next slide, please. We like to invest back into the community where we work, and we do this by hiring a local artist to be on our team. Yolanda Cotton-Turner joined the team and developed two creative pop-up activities that helped us capture more voices by going to where people were already congregating. Yolanda popped up at the Summer Art Fair and Makers Market and at Fiesta Alameda, engaging 205 participants in conversations about public art. Next slide, please. In addition to the Public Art Commission and Base Reuse and Economic Development Department staff providing input, the plan was reviewed by the Planning Board and senior city staff. Input provided ranged from clarification surrounding the public art ordinance to roles and responsibilities to proposed sites for public art and types to staff capacity and suggested implementation actions. Key points from this input is that Rec and Parks is an excited partner in the city to help with locating public art and capacity of staff as a concern for everyone. Next slide, please. These recommendations were crafted based on the feedback gathered through the community engagement initiatives summarized in the previous slides. 
They align with the mission of the Public Art Commission and will aid in establishing strategic priorities for public art in Alameda, reflecting the diversity of cultures present in the community. In addition to the recommendations, included is a five-year plan consisting of actionable prioritized steps to take each year. These actions have been developed with staff and Public Art Commission capacity in mind and are focused on developing tools and resources, providing consistency and funding opportunities for artists and arts organizations, determining future locations for public artworks, and addressing the condition of existing artworks. Next slide, please. All right, in terms of implementation, uh, a couple notes. The master plan establishes that staff will work with the Public Art Commission to develop a biennial work plan uh, that lays out priorities for the following two years. The work plan will align with the two-year budget cycle, and at the end of the two-year period, staff will continue its current practice of presenting to City Council on how the fund has been and will be spent. I'm referring to the uh, biennial report for the public art that um, was presented or was on the consent calendar uh, on the 5th of this month. Right. Uh, years one and two in the five-year action plan of, of the plan itself um, identifies four priorities. First, the release of grant applications for cultural arts and arts programming, as well as physical artworks. Uh, secondly, building resources for artists, developers, community members, staff, and the Public Art Commission. This could include a, an onboarding <coughs> packet for new Public Art Commissioners uh, or a standardized grant award review process, which was discussed at uh, yesterday's uh, Public Art Commission meeting, uh, which Councilmember Herrera-Spencer joined us for. Um, thirdly, attending in, uh, to the condition of existing artworks. And fourth, site prioritization of future artworks. Lastly, I want to provide the financial context in which this plan and the city's public art program will operate. The public art ordinance requires that major development projects include on-site public art with a value equal to or exceeding 1% of the project's building development costs. The ordinance also permits an applicant to pay a fee in lieu of providing on-site art, and any in-lieu fees collected are deposited into the public art fund. The fund can then be used by the city to provide or support public art. In 2022 and 2023, uh, the fund received two large in-lieu payments totaling over $800,000, uh, which raised the fund balance to approximately $1 million as of uh, June 23rd, 2023, this year. Uh, one note before my last slide. Uh, on page 10 of the report, there was a printing error. I, I apologize for that. Um, and it cuts off in the middle of the sentence. I'm happy to read that sentence to you if you are interested. Um, the, the, I think seven words that were left off are processes, roles, and responsibilities associated with each. Um, I hope it doesn't change your uh, assessment of this, but I thought I would note it here. Uh, and so staff recommends adoption of a resolution adopting a draft public art master plan. Thank you. Thank you. You came in and your time. And do we have public comment on this item? We do. All right. Any clarifying question before we go to public comment, Council? Let's go to public comment. Who do we have? Uh, Tina Blaine, followed by Jennifer Radakovich, followed by Adam Gillett. All right. In that order, come on up. Hello again. Welcome back. I just realized that it's been 20 years of championing the arts in Alameda since 2003. So it's been many administrations here, and I am thrilled 
to see that we finally have a master art plan. This is a big deal. And I want to thank everyone on city staff, some of whom are here tonight, some who are not here, and all of you in support of this really, really important milestone that the city is reaching here. This, I wish that more artists were here tonight to let you know what a big deal that this really is. But to have an ongoing fund and a source of funds and money to help make really cool projects happen is a wonderful thing. And Alameda is finally becoming a player here and in the arts community and the greater Bay Area. You know, for many years, funders wouldn't even fund projects in Alameda. They never heard of Alameda before. You know, they, they thought it was Alameda County. But having, having projects like this um, to help fund really interesting projects is Fantastic. So I'm just here to say I hope that you are all in support of the master plan and that you approve it. And thank you, everyone, and the Public Art Commission as well, because it's been a really long slog to get here. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Ms. Jennifer Radikovich. Radikovich, welcome. Hello, Hello, Jennifer Radikovich from Rhythmix Cultural Works, and I just want to congratulate the uh, Public Art Commission for all of the time and effort, and the city staff, um, all the time and effort and work that went into this process of creating the master plan and prioritizing the master plan so that we can have regular grants for um, both physical art and for cultural art and even just getting that designation of having grants set aside for cultural arts isn't always a norm from city to city so um, that is really amazing and appreciated and um, we're yeah so glad that they finally got to this part of the process where um, they feel good about the master plan and want to have it approved and we are in full support of moving forward and hope that all of you are too and it's just going to mean a lot more arts in the city a lot more support for local artists and it's just a sign of many good things to come so thank you thank you so much our next uh, speaker uh, speaker Gillett I'm so excited that I can finally be here tonight to address you about this because this has been a huge, long, ongoing process. And uh, it's so important for our artistic community that we finally get this master art plan across the finish line and have a common document where artists and developers and the city can all be on the same page so that we can plan for more art, whether it's cultural or physical art around Alameda. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the past five or six years, there's been a huge uptick in the amount of art we've seen around Alameda, both public art projects that we at the commission have been able to sponsor, but also uh, projects that private citizens and other uh, companies have taken on themselves. Uh, a great example of that have been some of the murals that have been popping up around the city, uh, like Rosie R the Riveter mural on the side of the old Paganos, or one of my favorite pieces of art in the whole city, the beautiful mural that's on Webster Street in Pacific that was sponsored by the West End Arts District. Uh, there are 
so many great opportunities for art in this city. And we're so lucky that we have the structure and the funding to make it possible. And now that we have this master art plan, which admittedly isn't perfect, but no plan is, but what it is is a chance for us to have a common document to work from and a chance to really ensure that Alameda's art is preserved through into the future, that the program <coughs> continues to fund exciting uh, uh, cultural performances like uh, Island City Waterways that fund uh, interactive artworks like the rock spinners that are in Jean Sweeney Park uh, and other sculptures like uh, the Calamar uh, that is over by the, uh, uh, the ferry building. Uh, there's just been so many great examples of what we've been able to do so far, but this document really addresses so many of the issues and the challenges that we've seen as we've been putting it together. So uh, I really want to thank uh, the people at Forecast for all the work they put into this. Uh, city staff, Lois Butler and Walker Toma, who have been the driving force behind this. Uh, my fellow members of the commission and the entire arts community, all the leaders from arts groups and everyone who participated in all the focus groups to make this happen. Uh, this is a really important and exciting time for public art in Alameda, and I really hope you will final, uh, approve this plan and get it across the finish line finally. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker, Liz Resch. Welcome, Speaker Resch. Again, um, I'm the vice chairman of the Public Arts Commission, and I want to say ditto to everything he said. He said it very well, but thank you again for bringing this on tonight. We've been waiting. We've worked on it very hard for over a year, and I really appreciate all the energy everyone's put into it. It's a big deal. Um, this is going to be um, a great roadmap to fund, support, and present the arts in Alameda for some time to come. So I hope you all support that. Thank you. Thank you so much. <coughs> our next speaker? That was our last. That was it, so we'll close public comment. I do have a question, maybe Mr. Toma. Um, do we have an Alameda, I can't remember if this is an Alameda or I'm thinking of another city. Do we have some sort of a map of all the public art locations around the city and a description of them? We, we do indeed, Madam do Mayor. Indeed. We, um, Where do we find it? Uh, we <laughs> not imagining a website okay. that okay. is, it's not on our city's website because we, anyway, there were a few oh. different reasons to do okay. so, but it's uh, alamedapubliclart.com. Um, okay. And uh, it's included in the master plan. There's a, a link in the, the live version. We'll have a link to that. But that has an interactive map uh, that has information about uh, the public art collection. So the, the hope is that it would continue to be updated over time, but yes. Okay, so if you didn't get that down, Alameda, publicart.com. Public art work. Sorry. Public art yes. work, worksingular.com. Um, check it out, because we have some really amazing things out there. Um, Calimar, by the way, means squid in Italian. And I love the beckon. That's the one that you can walk through and talk, and it echoes. Um, there's just something for everyone. Anyway, thank you so much for bringing this forward. Our apologies that it took so long to get it before this body. You kept getting bumped off. But here we are now. Um, who wants to? Uh, With great uh, appreciation this? to staff and, and to all those who have worked on this, I'd like to move approval. Lovely. Do you have a second? Second. Seconded by, okay, and that um, motion's been moved by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Harris-Spencer. Any brief motion, I mean, any brief comments before we vote? Vice Mayor Desag. A quick comment. I just want to make sure to express through our city manager appreciation to our staff, um, Mr. Toma and Ms. Butler, who worked on this. We certainly appreciate it. 
and a special uh, appreciation to the consultant who helped uh, us put together the master plan. But finally, uh, special appreciation to the artists generally, but also to the members of the Public Arts Commission specifically who helped bring this across the finish line. So thank you very much. This is very important. Very important. Councilmember Jensen. Uh, on uh, November 21st, just a month ago, we adopted finally the strategic plan for the city of Alameda, and I'm very excited to approve this because this is the first project that we are approving that is a strategic plan project, the Transportation Infrastructure Economic Opportunity, TIE number 23, is adopt and implement a new public art master plan. So I am very enthusiastic and great to, <laughs> you're the first, so better make it good. <laughs> All right. We'll any further questions for any comments for you, vote Councilor Harris Spencer? Thank you, Mayor. Um, I also want to. First of all, I did was able to attend part of the commission <coughs> meeting yesterday, and I do encourage the public um, to participate. You can participate via Zoom, and some people were, or you can come on down in person. And it was in the conference room, on the third floor, 360 by the elevator. Um, and I thought that honestly, it's to participate and we do have members of the public here, right? When you're here in person, it's different than Zoom. You get to honestly uh, uh, see more of, of the interactions uh, uh, and what was happening. And I do want to commend uh, Walker Toma, development manager, who is the one that the staff member that attends that meeting, Lois Butler, uh, economic development division manager. She was also there. And then we have our chair and our commission members to, um, they asked, honestly, it's a very vibrant um, uh, commission. And why? Because it's all about art. It's actually a very exciting uh, commission. So I want to thank all the commissioners, the staff. Um, and Yolanda Cotton-Turner, she's a, another local artist. Um, she's been by Studio 23 at the Red Door. I'm not, where she, I'm not sure where what her current studio is, but I do uh, encourage uh, the community to uh, go to the Studio 23 and uh, Yolanda's events too, where you can see the vibrancy of our local artists. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed or abstentions? Of course not. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much, Steph. Uh, 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 no, you follow the same rules the rest of the meeting has followed. We love artists, but you follow the rules. Thank you, friends. Um, okay, we are now moving on because we have um, uh, our city manager's comments, and then we're going to go to oral communications. So, city manager Jen yes. Ott, welcome. Thank you, Mayor, Council Members. Uh, tonight, Caltrans is closing the Posey Tube, um, so we're leaving Alameda from 10 p.m. to 4:30 a.m. tomorrow morning for maintenance. Uh, the East Bay East Bay Mud project on Sherman and Clement is complete. And the city is working on restriping the surface roadway to prevent vehicles from entering the bike lanes when turning. The traffic signal phasing will remain the same with all of the all walk and all bike signal when bikes or pedestrians are detected and a red light for vehicles um, and a red light for bikes and pedestrians during vehicle movements. The Main Street Ferry Terminal is reopening January 2nd. So when you're back in the area, you'll notice that the city completed restriping Main Street, including a new um, road diet from the gate at Alameda Point to the ferry terminal, adding a half mile of new bike lanes and significantly improving pedestrian and bicycle safety along this corridor. Um, and thank you to Supervisor Lena Tam's office for recently presenting the city with a check for $5,000 to support the city's youth summer internship program. 
And lastly, finally, the city continues to support local shopping with free parking on Saturdays for the rest of the month at the Civic Center Garage in the Westin lot. And happy holidays to everyone. Thank you so much. And now we go to um, item nine, oral communications. And this is the continuation of the, um, the speakers that we had from before. And if there is any possibility, there is a young man in the audience who's up way past his bedtime. If that speaker group could possibly be moved to the front if they're so interested. And she was right at the top. <laughs> she was right at the top. Yeah. Uh, uh, Claire Valderrama Wallace. Welcome, speaker. And anyone who'd like to come with you. Aw. By the way, I want to apologize. I think I mistook him for someone else's son, so I think I called him the wrong name. So sorry. <laughs> but welcome. Good evening. My name is Claire Valderrama Wallace. This is Dante. Um, I grew up here in Alameda. I went to school here K through 12, and I'm here with my partner with our two children. One goes to Wood, one goes to St. Jim's. We want our children to live in a community where social justice is a living, breathing practice, and where courage and justice and love for people far outweigh fear, hesitation, and discomfort, which is why I'm grateful to be here with Alameda families and friends for ceasefire and asking you to agendize and pass a ceasefire resolution at the very minimum, and better yet, an end to apartheid and the occupation of Palestine. Every hour, every minute, more and more Palestinians are being killed by bombardment, shelling, suffocation, under rubble, and starvation. I appreciate the most recent agenda items. How many Palestinian artists have been killed, have been martyred? How many Palestinian children can't be up past a bedtime because they have been martyred? Who can't continue to be artists, who can't attend cultural performances? because they have been martyred. I'm also a nurse and an educator. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Nursing at Cal State East Bay, and my specialty is community health nursing. All these things compel me to be here. The silence of people in power is complicity in genocide, and decisions made here impact local communities and reverberate around the world when our taxpayer dollars are paying for weapons and technology that carry out genocide. Money that should be supporting safe working conditions, housing, food, transportation, are instead funding genocide. And we also know that these taxpayer dollars that go to the Israeli military fund their violence in training military around the country, around the world, including in Myanmar and the <coughs> Philippines. Never again means never again for anyone. Never again means now. Never again meant last week, meant a month ago, meant two months ago. So please act. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Laura Thomas. Welcome, Speaker Thomas. Good evening, council staff, citizens of Alameda. I'm Laura Thomas, and I'm a 40-year resident of this town now, and a member of Alameda Family Families for Ceasefire. And I'm here, like everybody else tonight, to ask you for a resolution demanding a ceasefire in Gaza, putting it on your agenda. Again, it is a local issue. As others have mentioned, our tax dollars go to fueling the Israeli war machine against the Palestinians. Speaking up for them at this moment seems to be scary for some reason. 
I guess it brings on charges of anti-Semitism, acts of repression and intimidation, and even violence across this country. And I can see why you might hesitate. Many people are afraid. But we're strong in Alameda, right? Weren't we Alameda strong during COVID? Didn't we pass a sanctuary city resolution in 2018 to protect immigrants and refugees? It's consistent for us to insist the Palestinians have a sanctuary from bombardment and deprivation. If we don't act, we're complicit. There's so much attention paid recently to stolen land and genocide, the stolen land and genocide enacted by our ancestors against native people. We regret that, don't we? We do land acknowledgments left and right to acknowledge it. How can we sit back now while our government allows Israel to perpetrate a similar travesty in Gaza and the West Bank? In our name, while the world watches. Never again, says Jewish Voice for Peace. We should be saying that as well. Never again, no more genocide in our name. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Cynthia Minster. Rabbi Cynthia Welcome, Minster. Uh, Rabbi Minster. Good evening, Mayor Ezzi Ashcraft and members of City Council. I am so impressed by your endurance and patience. <laughs> my name is Rabbi Cynthia Minster, and I and my family are residents here in Alameda. I am here to remind you that the silent majority of our community respects political differences, including the distinction between items within the purview of the city and beyond it. I urge you to continue working on the local issues that belong on the council agenda. Citizens should advocate at the federal level on foreign policy. The only thing local, the only thing local resolutions accomplish is increasing division within our community. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Michael Yoshi. Good evening, good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Um, I think I know everybody, you all know me. Um, I'm wearing the hat today of, of tonight of being the co-chair of Friends of Wadi Fakin and also being part of the newly formed uh, Alameda Families and Friends for Ceasefire and, and coming to you to urge you to uh, share your voice as a city council for ceasefire. Um, you know, as I, as I was hearing the Recreation Department issue, I was prompted to think back when I had a heart attack 15 years ago. And I owe my life to Parks and Rec uh, because they did what they needed to do, called the fire department, mm -hmm. did the whole, whole drill with me was uh, CPR, and I'm a, I was alive to tell my story. And my cardiologist said, you know, without them, you would have been dead. Um, on the hospital bed is when I uh, had a very moral moment to say, this issue we've been dealing with in our congregation for the whole year, we need to move on it because I was saved by a 911 call, but they've been calling 911 to us and nobody's been listening. And that was a ministry with Palestinian people that has become to be the Friends of Wadi Fakin. And you know that story about land confiscation that's been going on for these last 15 years that we've been trying to avert. The reason why I'm back here tonight though is because there was a gentleman who was the first speaker here 
um, Mike, Michael Wilowowski, I think he was the first speaker. He didn't get a chance to finish what he wanted to say. That is, he had friends in Gaza now. Um, their name was Munther and Yara, who have two kids, one years old and three years old. His last email with them was that they were still alive, but the older brother had gotten killed. And he wanted to plead with you for a ceasefire for their family because they're still there and still alive. I have three friends who have lost multiple family members in Gaza. One, her whole family was obliterated in a bombing at a church. Two of them still have family members living and the others as well. Thank you. Our next speaker. Ashley. Welcome, Speaker Ashley. Hello, Mayor, Council Members. Um, my name is Ashley and I've lived in Alameda the past seven years. I'm also a small business owner and a mental health professional, and I'm here with Alameda families and friends for a ceasefire. I joined tonight in a collective call for Alameda City Council to agendize and pass a ceasefire resolution. I urge this council to join other Bay Area cities, Davis, Oakland, Richmond, in passing a resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. As council members, you have the power to use your words and actions to make a statement. I urge you to join with the majority of people, the majority of people in the world who are demanding an end to genocide and apartheid. And we are asking you to acknowledge the pain, acknowledge the violence and the grief, to witness the profound loss and to let your hearts break open and then do something about it. As you hear us, I invite you to notice, notice your thoughts, notice your feelings, really. And, and notice, how are you making decisions? How are you making decisions aligned with your values? What does justice mean to you? And who do you view as worthy of your protection and your care? Take a moment to get really clear on this. Stand with us as our community representatives in demanding a ceasefire. Stand with the people of Palestine. Take this step right now so that we may never find ourselves here again. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Joshua Altieri. Welcome, Speaker Altieri. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council. My name is Josh Altieri. I'm the Community Relations Manager at the Housing Authority, City of Alameda, and just wanted to provide a couple of updates regarding the Housing Authority and what they're doing to provide more affordable housing. Uh, one is uh, back in 2021, uh, the federal government authorized local housing authorities to use emergency housing vouchers. Uh, we were allocated 57 vouchers to, uh, to households that were either homeless uh, at the risk of becoming homeless or fleeing domestic violence. Happy to report that all 57 of those vouchers have been leased up and uh, major kudos to the staff who were going out to you know some of those temporary uh, hotels and meeting with housing na navigators and going out and meeting with the community and getting these households uh, into homes. Uh, the next update is related to North Housing, which is our, our largest uh, North Housing Master Plan, which is our most ambitious project, is to bring 586 affordable homes by 2030 uh, to the island. Uh, back in February, we received about $20.6 million from the Department of State, uh, State of California Department of Housing Community Development. Um, the, the first, it's gonna be Block A. There's two phases in Block A. One is Lynette Corner. It's gonna be 64 households. Um, it's gonna be se serving seniors. The next one is Estuary 1. Uh, that'll be 45 households uh, serving formerly homeless. 
the housing authority will be uh, also throwing in about roughly over a little over $8 million. Uh, we will allocate 80 project-based vouchers, uh, which is, gives us about a million dollar operating subsidy per year. And then lastly, uh, kind of on the, on the social service side, and really wanted to thank our partners here at the city, uh, one is um, we're, we're working with the Department of Housing Human Services, uh, close collaboration with cases that may pop up, trying to resolve any issues that uh, come about. Another one is the Alameda Recreation and Parks Department, where they're providing a mobile recreation unit to our largest family site, Esperanza Apartments. And then lastly, uh, we'll run out of time, but thank you for this evening. Thank you so much. Our next speaker? Israel Kazan. Welcome, Speaker Kazan. Come on. Uh, my name is Israel Kazan. I don't often do this at meetings, but I think I'll do it because in a few days you will. You will sing, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, around yon virgin mother and child. And you get it. It goes on and on. I want to greet you Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and thank you for your service you know, as council members and as city staff, but it's quite ironic to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays at this moment when Christmas is not Mary, where Jesus was born in Palestine, where the holidays are not Mary in Israel, where Jewish folks are struggling to live for peace. And just to share a little bit more about myself, um, I've lived in Alameda for about seven years now with my family. And I had to be reminded that my second, uh, my late great-grandfather, the second president of the Philippines, uh, Manuel El Quezon, opened up the country's doors in the 1930s to 1,300 Jews fleeing from Nazi Germany, a Filipino in power. Filipino in power had to step up and say yes to life. I grew up Zionist in my Filipino household. I grew up believing that the state of Israel, only the state of Israel, deserves the right to life. It was until I went to Palestine seven months ago and saw how Palestinians and Israelis are struggling to prove to the world that their lives are precious. Now everyone in my family believe that both of their lives matter, agendizing, and passing a resolution and a ceasefire in Palestine is the right thing to do. Thank you. Thank you, and for the beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. uh, our next speaker. That was our last speaker. All right, with that we will close, um, uh, close oral communications number nine. And I just wanna thank every one of you who stayed and the others, if you're listening, maybe you're fast asleep in bed, for um, being such wonderful advocates, but so civil and respectful, and you let everyone's voices be heard. Um, I always want this to be a safe space where people can come and share how they feel and and communicate directly with your elected representatives. And I just, I cannot thank you enough. I, I know I'm hardly objective. I do happen to think we have the greatest public in the Bay Area, maybe in the state, but that's, you know, that's just your biased mayor of the city of Alameda. But thank you, we heard you, thank you so much. Um, all right, so as we agreed, we will do council communications and we'll each take two minutes and let's start with you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. <coughs> Good night. Uh, thank you, Mayor. So I want to share some significant police incident reports that have occurred recently. Uh, December 18th, that was just yesterday, right? Uh, at 9 a.m., 
we had an armed robbery at uh, the Wells Fargo Bank on Otis Drive. And what happened was that during, at that time, officers responded to a report of an armed robbery. Um, a customer was leaving the bank, was robbed at gunpoint by two suspects armed with guns. There were no injuries. The suspects have not been located. The investigation's ongoing and this information can be released to the public. But I'm, I share these so that you all are aware, right? Um, 9 a.m. Monday morning, that happened here in Alameda. Uh, December 3rd, which was a Sunday at 7.50 p.m., so many of us are out on a Sunday at 8 p.m., uh, a carjacking, 1400 block Benton Street. Uh, an adult male victim was delivering packages when an unknown adult male suspect brandished a gun, handgun, and took the victim's vehicle. No reported injuries. The investigation's ongoing. Uh, December, November 16th, which was a Thursday, 10 a.m., an armed robbery, 1500 block of Alameda Avenue. Officers contacted an adult male victim who said he was robbed at gunpoint by exiting his vehicle. The suspects described as four adult males followed the victim from a bank in South Shore Shopping Center to his home on Alameda Avenue. Uh, one suspect exited the vehicle, pointed a handgun at the victim, and took personal items from the victim. The suspect then got into an, a waiting vehicle with the three additional suspects and fled in an unknown direction. The victim did not sustain any physical injuries. The investigation is ongoing, and the information can be released to the public. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Bella? Um, you know, I, I want to thank our city manager and our staff for uh, the, the holiday party that uh, so many of our staff were able to enjoy. I think um, I heard so many good things about it and uh, was here as the setup was happening. Um, just uh, appreciation also to our firefighters um, for the toy drive. There was a tremendous effort that went into that. Um, it was a different setup this year than from previous years. Uh, it seemed to work really well where folks could, could walk up or drive up, mm -hmm. um, especially with the rain um, where they didn't have to get out of their vehicles and, and um, could get toys. I think they gave toys out to over a 1,000 um, uh, kids here in Alameda, which is uh, fantastic. So uh, great appreciation to them uh, doing all of that on their time off. Um, I've attended a, a number of different events um, since we last had this item, the Moose Feed. I, I saw several uh, colleagues there, uh, League of California Cities, uh, uh, League Leaders Meeting in, in Carlsbad. Um, I'm going to forget uh, a number of other events that I've, I've been to, but just, um, you know, really glad that uh, as a community we've been able to gather um, and take time to uh, to celebrate and uh, oh and the the amazing tour that we had mm -hmm. um, at Alameda Point uh, really uh, for for those of you who who uh, there were a number of people that came but I know there was a tremendous amount of work that uh, went into making that tour a success so uh, thank you thank you Vice Mayor Desog uh, thank you very much. Um, Let's see, uh, real quickly, um, I might have reported this already, but just in case I hadn't, um, on October 25th, um, Council Member Jensen and myself had attended the City of Alameda AC Transit uh, Liaison Meeting, um, and that was a meeting that was a precursor to the meeting that we subsequently had where we had to you know, give some guidance um, with regard to the difficulties that AC Transit is facing. Um, and then on e, uh, November 9th, I had attended the U.S. Coast Guard Breakfast and All Hands Ceremony on behalf of the mayor. 
um, in which I uh, present the certificates to the um, winner for the um, uh, Coast Guard of personnel, DC3 Todd, uh, for being the personnel for the quarter, and then also to the civilian personnel of the quarter, uh, Mr. Frederick Mortel. That was on 11-9, and I made sure to not only uh, recognize uh, the mayor, but also the other council members on their uh, indicated on their behalf. On, um, on December 1st, I had a nice coffee with uh, Rabbi Minster. Thank you very much. Uh, look forward to you know, having coffees with others as well. Um, on December 8th, um, I attended the Alameda Point leasing tour. Very eye-opening to see um, the uh, magnificence of some of the vacant buildings. Um, and then uh, I believe it was December 10th was the Alameda Holiday City Tree Lighting Ceremony. That was very fun. Um, and finally, on December 16th, attended the South Shore Menorah Lighting at South Shore. Um, so that was it, I believe, um, since we last um, met. I believe I met within two minutes. Very nice, <laughs> right on time. Um, Councilmember Jensen. Um, thank you, uh, Vice Mayor Desaad. Yes, we did attend um, the meeting with the AC Transit, which was very informative. Unfortunately, we learned that some uh, routes were being cut as their streamlining service, well, what they're calling streamlining service. And so this is gonna affect Alameda. It is affecting Alameda AC Transit riders. The, um, I want to appreciate city staff, speaking of our partners in um, transportation, I want to appreciate city staff for submission of comprehensive comments on Monday, yesterday, and defined opposition to the two years of neighborhood disruption that will begin to happen if the Oakland Port Turning Basin Project is approved. So thank you for those comprehensive and very interesting. I learned quite a lot just reading those comments. Finally. Um, Appreciate all of the commenters who've come for the, our past several meetings to share their views and their thoughts and information about the tragedy that's happening, um, unfortunately, in Palestine. And finally, I um, will share, since the mayor pointed out that I am a board member of Alameda Youth Basketball, that there's about um, probably about 700 boys and girls on teams from third grade to eighth grade who are having a great time competing against each other and learning to be sportsmen and getting better at basketball at the same time happening throughout Alameda every weekend. Stop by one of the gyms at Alameda High or Alameda Boys and Girls Club or Lincoln School to watch some youth basketball. Thank you. And I um, am happy to report that I was also at the um, League of California Cities Board of Directors meeting. Um, Councilmember Vella and I sit on the state board and, and we also had our league leaders event which are different division heads from around the state and we um, voted on, established our um, priorities for the legislation that we'll pursue and, and support uh, for the coming year housing factors uh, large, and um, so it is um, preserving uh, city funds our, um, and local control over our city funds. And then um, I returned from Carlsbad in time for the City Lights celebration where we lit the lights out in front of City Hall, and then it was followed by a really fun event, the Winter Market, where um, we uh, 
closed off a, a block, the block of Central Avenue in front of the theater, and those are all local vendors, and the stage was local musicians, and there was also the hot cocoa crawl, so you could get, you know, choose a, from a variety of different venues for hot cocoa, and it was just lovely to see people out enjoying themselves, having a good time. It just, it makes me happy to see people enjoying themselves. And then I also had the um, the honor and privilege to attend not one but two menorah lightings um, uh, during Hanukkah. The, the first was uh, sponsored by Chabad, and that was at uh, Upper Washington Park, and that was very, um, very nice. And uh, I think Councilmember Jensen was there, and then I saw that Councilmember uh, Councilmember Herrera Spencer was there, and um, and spoke at the stage as did I. And then Councilmember Jensen, we saw you come in a little bit later. And then I was honored to light all the candles at Temple Israel's um, uh, menorah lighting at Sashore Center. It's an electric menorah, so you do it with <laughs> your thumb and buttons. But it, lovely at both events. It was just lovely to see families out enjoying, um, you know, cultural festivities. Um, uh, food and arts and crafts and um, love those jelly donuts and I'm done okay so anyway um, thank you to everyone happiest holidays and um, stay safe and we will see you in the new year thanks to staff all right okay. this meeting is adjourned